0: You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: everyone, and welcome to Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7.03. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Good morning. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Randy. How are you today?
3: Everything is good. Nights off for both the Blues and the Cardinals last night, so we've got a doubleheader tonight. Right here on 101 ESPN, the Blues play the Bruins, a pregame at 6, faceoff at 7, and then... Well, not then. Before that starts, the Cardinals will be in action in Miami, and that's a 5.30 start, I I think, in Miami for the Cardinals, and maybe it's a 6 o'clock start. I'll have to look. But anyway, the Cardinals and Marlins open a three-game series tonight in Miami, and there are bound to be dozens of people on
1: hand. Dozens, you say? Yeah. Randy, when you said the Blues were going to play the Bruins, I wanted to Boo.
3: Yeah, because Brad Marchand's in town, right?
1: It was just my natural reaction is that I wanted to say boo to the Bruins. That just doesn't leave you.
3: No, I think they think you're saying Bruins.
1: Probably, but...
3: They've got that attitude. Blues are going to beat them tonight.
1: You think so? Oh yeah,
3: the Blues handle teams that are up in the standings.
1: Do you think Vladimir Tarasenko was listening to the show yesterday?
3: I'm guessing somebody probably told him about what was said by Trent Frederick of the Boston Bruins.
1: Yeah. Fred-
3: Frederick said?
1: you. Well, you had you set it up. You had asked him about the hit. I use that in air yeah, quotes. Yeah. Um, and he said, Well, what do you want to know? And how did you describe Vladdy? You said he had steel pipe legs or something uh, yeah. to that effect? His,
3: his legs are like concrete stanchions. That's what the, the coach said, that he's really difficult to knock down. Jim Hannafin used to use that one for Tom Newton, an offensive lineman. And I think it's an apt description because Vladdy is pretty hard to knock down, and he's a strong guy.
1: As we saw with Trent Frederick's <laughs> right. attempt yeah. to hit Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah. He says he wasn't trying to hit him, too, by the way. Right,
3: he was just, yeah, it sounded like he was trying to drive by, but he did lose his footing. And when I mentioned the fact that Vladimir Tarasenko appears to be a pretty strong guy, he said, well, I think he was just fat. I think, he, that, to, to paraphrase.
1: And both of us went, What?
3: <laughs> My jaw hit the, hit the counter.
1: I couldn't believe that he said that.
3: Not the night before you're going to play them.
1: Yeah. You know, we should get that sound so we can hear it, it in his own words. Right. Say that. But, um yeah, I wonder if that's made its way to Vladdy. And if he's, um not that he needs to be any more motivated. The guy is absolutely on fire. First hour of the week for the mm-hmm. NHL. He, uh... Has 11 points in four games, helping the Blues extend their winning streak to nine games. He has a six-game point streak, eight goals, seven assists, and leads the Blues right now with 76 points and 33 goals for the season. I don't think he needs any extra motivation, but I wouldn't want to be body shamed on radio when millions of people across the country are listening live in St. Louis and streaming. I wouldn't want somebody to say that about me.
3: Here is Bruins forward Trent Frederick yesterday on Carrick and Smallman here on 101 ESPN.
4: Yeah, I don't know. I know I
1: don't know about that,
4: but... I actually wasn't going to hit him, I was just going to act like I was going to hit him. Uh, we had uh, like a little confrontation at the face-off dot. Uh, I don't even know if he's that strong, I would say he's more fat to me, but uh, <laughs> that's just me. Uh, but yeah, he just caught me off guard, I wasn't actually going to hit him and, and then I uh, kind of just went in and I ended up taking a penalty and they, they scored and ended up being a big part of the game. So.
3: In fairness. He's a youngster, and he might have just been joking around.
1: He did laugh at the end, yeah, he so there's, did. there was probably sarcasm yeah. there. But still, <laughs> I wouldn't want to put more gasoline on the Vladimir Tarasenko fire if I was going to play them the next day. That's all I'm saying. No. Even if it wasn't jest, even if it wasn't sarcasm, and we love Trent Frederick, local mm-hmm. guy, we appreciate him coming on the show. We love him, but. This is the number one star in the NHL. He's the hottest guy in the league right now. I wouldn't want to give him any extra motivation, even if I was just teasing.
3: Don't need to fan those flames. And by the way, while the Blues are playing the Bruins tonight, the Wild will play the Canadians. And so, again, we might have a change in the standings by tomorrow morning. That's why I think the Blues need to win. They know they need to win. They can't afford to be losing games. It just doesn't work that way now in the NHL because Minnesota, when they aren't playing the Blues, they seem to win every single night.
1: Well, good thing that the Blues aren't losing games. Nine in a row, going for lucky number 10 tonight, Randy.
3: Let's get that. Meanwhile, as we mentioned, the Cardinals will send Adam Wainwright to the mound against Jesus Luzardo of the Marlins tonight. Yachty will be behind the plate. And it is, it's a 540 start St. Louis time for the Cardinals and the Marlins. And so far, Miami 4-5 and five on the season. They have really good pitching. They did some things during the offseason, getting Avisail Garcia they added to their offense and they aren't a walkover. They're a team that you really have to put your best foot forward against.
1: Um, you say Yaddy or Molina behind the plate. I guess we can just assume anytime Adam Wainwright gets the ball, Yaddy or Molina is going to be behind the plate as they get closer and closer towards the all time battery record. And that's just one of the things on this season that I'm really going to be savoring is anytime Adam Wainwright gets the ball, knowing that Yaddy's going to be opposite him because. That record, if slash when they break that, is something that is never going to be broken again. And it's really cool that we're getting to watch yeah. history happen in real time.
3: Tonight will be number 307. And no other battery will even get to 300, let alone 326. And you're right. that is an That will become one of baseball's unbreakable records.
1: Because not only are you going to see two guys probably have the durability that Adam Wainwright and Gadier Molina do, are they really going to be on the same team for that long? Unlikely.
3: Yeah, I would doubt it. Michelle... The Blues have been great of late, and we're all excited about where they are and where they're headed, and they've won nine in a row. But we have been disappointed by the Blues in the past. Thing, Bad things have happened with the St. Louis Blues.
1: I know you have a laundry list of things, I Randy. I kind of do. Prior to 2019, yeah. yeah.
3: And it's not like I don't have concerns. And I think we all have concerns. And throughout the morning, we want to hear your concern. Even though the Blues are in second in the division, they're third in the conference now because Calgary won last night. And the Blues have won nine in a row, uh, a 12-game point streak. But do you have a concern about... The Blues, Michelle, for example, my biggest concern is that they revert to form and play down to the level of their competition as they did earlier in the season. In the Blues' second-to-last loss, which was 5-2 to Philadelphia at the Enterprise Center on March 24th, the response was troubling. Here's Justin Falk after a 5-2 loss to Philadelphia, Philadelphia's first win on the road in 2022, and it came on March 24th.
5: We just didn't play our game at all. Um, the work ethic wasn't there, and uh, the compete level and the intensity wasn't there. From um, a lot of guys, I, I'm very much in that group. Um, didn't have a good game by any means, um, but that's, it's just not
3: acceptable. And, Michelle, Craig Berube was asked why the Blues were only 11-9 and 9 against the bottom 10 teams in the league. Uh, arrogance, for sure, is part of it. And that's been a personality trait of the Blues for much of the last 15 years, right? Playing down to the level of their competition because they're, they think they're better than they really are. Well, they can't do that when they go to San Jose and Arizona and Anaheim. And certainly can't start feeling it because they've beaten Minnesota soundly over the course of the last years, couple of years. To be fair, since that loss to Philly, the Blues are 3-0 and against the bottom 10. And they've outscored that group by a combined 15-4. to But that is my concern.
1: But, Randy, the compete level has been there. The intensity has been there. They've won nine in a row. They're the hottest team in hockey right now.
3: Yes. I think that might have been me.
1: No, that was me. Sorry. Okay. Uh, it was an email from the Blues. Oh. Game day information, like which it. we definitely need. But, Randy, I I understand your concerns, but don't you think that those issues the Blues dealt with are long gone?
3: I would have thought that heading into that game against Philadelphia, Michelle. I, so, I – I never do completely trust this group to pound the opposition into submission, to be there every night, to have that compete level. If I have a concern, it's really not about the goalie. It's not about the defense, although I want Nick Letty to be back. And I'm just assuming health, which is stupid to assume, but I'm assuming it. So (laughs) my concern is something that I have seen in the past.
1: And that's what this exercise is. Yeah. Even though we're feeling great about the Blues, this is what we do as sports fans before the playoffs, right. is we think of all the ways that things could go wrong, and we agonize over that. happened before. Especially if you're a Blues fan. Yes, they won in 2019, and it was glorious. Get it? <laughs> Randy's wearing his blue shoes today. But then guess what? 2020. Team looked primed to repeat. Oh, global pandemic. Bubble. Team lo- loses all their are ju- juju. Swept by Vancouver? Yeah, what? Last year yes Colorado was a tough opponent but your number one score your your best player your hottest player David Perron COVID out of the series what these are things that happen to Blues fans so I understand why we're agonizing over things and I get where you're coming from Randy but the good news is is that the Blues are going to not be playing competition that's below them everyone in the playoffs is going to come with the same intensity level and the same compete level so I think the Blues are going to be okay there my big concern and I think most fan bases could say this heading into the, any playoffs is goaltending. Mm. And you're probably thinking what Billy Huso has been nails. Jordan bennington has shown signs of uh, Jordan, the Jordan Pennington of past the past 3 games. I get that. But Billy Huso does not have playoff experience and the NHL playoffs are a completely different animal. So what if he gets in that moment and the pressure's too much or he doesn't rise to the occasion and you go to Jordan Binnington? You're probably saying, well, Michelle, 2019, 914 save percentage, 648 shots against the guy. He was unbelievable. He was the reason, a big, big reason why the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Right, but we've seen at points this season where Jordan Binnington has not looked like himself. So I am going to stress out about goaltending until the Blues hoist the cup. That's going to be my thing.
3: Fair enough. Hey, 2001, I was pretty fired up about the goaltending until I wasn't. Thank you, Roman Turek. I'm looking at you. Uh, (laughs) 2003, I was fired up about the Blues winning the Stanley Cup until everybody got the flu. That didn't seem great. Pay
5: attention, Roman.
3: Yeah. Roman, I'm looking at you. Uh, Yeah, there. uh, how many times can we talk about uh, crushing things that have happened to our team? We've got a lot of memories, so we want to know what concerns you. You can use the Rhino Shield mic drop throughout the course of the morning. Just use that with your 101 ESPN app. We've got the Air Comfort Service text line. You can use that to voice your concerns, and of course, uh, we will be talking to you throughout the course of the day. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, even though Yachty is saying that he can't play because he's too hurt, what's their confidence level in Andrew Kisner going forward? He's already played half the games. That's next on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: comes Moment on 101 ESPN. And as the Cardinals play the Marlins tonight, Yadier Molina will get the start. So far, Michelle, the starts, kind of surprisingly, for Cardinal fans, have been split. Yadi or Molina came into camp admittedly feeling sore. Didn't have the best offseason in terms of preparing himself for the 2022 campaign. And so the Cardinals are allowing him to slowly ease into the action, which I think is a smart move because of two reasons. Number one... You want to have a fresh Yachty for August, September, and hopefully October. And this is Yachty's last year. Mm -hmm. And so you need to find out about Andrew Kisner, who last year hit only 147 or 174 for the Cardinals in 161 at bats so far this season off to a 333 start with a 975 OPS granted. It's only 15. At bat, so far, but Kisner, when he came through the system, was known as a bat that needed to work uh, needed to work on his defense, and the cardinals in the system wondered about his attention span behind the plate and his ability as a catcher defensively. They don't worry anymore because he has bought in to. Really observing Yachty. And by the way, Derek Gould has a great piece today at stltoday.com talking about his preparation last year when he wasn't playing an awful lot, only played a little over 40 games, and how that has applied to this year and how he's been able to compartmentalize, separate his offense and his defense. So far, the Cardinals have to feel really good about where they are with Andrew Kisner.
1: Yeah, you have to feel good about the dividends that you're seeing from him, and now it's now or never. I mean, how many guys has or Molina passed up? How many guys have been the heir apparent to or Molina that aren't here anymore or that we've talked about, but we've never really seen? Carson Kelly's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Kisner for years, and he hasn't really gotten that opportunity, and for good reason, because Yadier Molina was still the best option that the Cardinals had. But now, knowing that the future is no longer Yadi, that this is, in fact, the last ride for him, you know need to not only know you have an Andrew Kisner, but you need to give him that seasoning. So when Yachty's not there anymore, when the when the safety net isn't there, Andrew Kisner is actually ready to assume the position. And so far, so good. I, I think we've seen a lot of positive signs from him, and he seems like he will be the guy.
3: He just turned 27 years old. And the the key for any catcher is to develop trust with your pitchers. And he's developed trust with the veteran guys, with wayno bueno, with Miles Michaelis. And he knows the bullpen guys so well because he was with a lot of those guys in the minors. And he's calling the right pitches at the right times so far. You haven't seen that glaring, oh, what's he doing there? Calling a a slider from Ryan Helsley on a a 2-0 count, a hanging slider to let somebody hit one over the wall. His pitch selection seems to be really good. And that's the most important thing. Remember when Tony told Mike Matheny and then he ultimately told Yachty, too, he said, hey, I don't care if you ever get a hit. Just go back there and catch mm-hmm. and prevent the other team from scoring. Kisner, in, in this game today, you can't have that catcher. But he's reaching that point now where you can really count on him defensively. And the offense, if he winds up with a 975 OPS, that's a huge bonus.
1: No catcher is ever going to be Yadi or Molina. And I think that when someone likely under Kisner, does take over for Yachty full-time, there's going to be that group of fans that is always going to say, "Oh, well, he's never going to be Yachty, he, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine. But you have to look at what he can do effectively and the fact that he's not losing games for you. Like you said, Randy, he's somebody that goes out there that you can feel confident about. He's got those relationship relationships with his pitchers. And it's hard to believe, because we've talked about him for so long, that this is really the first opportunity that we're going to see for him to really, really get some time. I know Mm -hmm. last year he had let's see, 161 at-bats. He had 63 games played last year, but you're going to see about 50-50 split this year with Andrew Kisner and Yadier Molina. You're going to have a really good sense of what he can be for your team after the end of this year.
3: And that's a bad position now in Major League Baseball. It's unbelievable how difficult it was this year for teams to find backup catchers and a lot of teams to find starting catchers. If you look at a really good team like the Giants with Buster Posey retiring, they used a first pick, a first-round pick on Joey Bart, who can't play. The, The best Best prospect in the game, Adney Rutschman, in Baltimore, is not ready to ascend yet. So the Cardinals may have a luxury. And by the way, a lot of us, I'm included, because of Andrew Kisner's age, being 27, expected that Ivan Herrera would be the guy. The Cardinals have him on the 40-man roster. He's among their top Thirty prospects. But so far, Herrera's off to a horrific start, a, a horrific Herrera start Ooh, down in work. Memphis. Four for 23, no homers, three RBIs, and an OPS of 457. He's uh, only uh, getting on base 24% of the time, so he might have some maturing to do offensively. And I, I don't know if he's overmatched so far in A, but That's the guy that the Cardinals were really looking at as the future, and there might have to be a bridge between Kisner and Herrera if Herrera's ever ready.
1: Now, the component of this that is the most surprising for me, and I know that he's dealing with some soreness and some physical stuff, so the decision is out of his hands, but is that Yadier Molina is seemingly on board with this. I thought for somebody that historically we have seen never want to take a game, never wants to take a pitch off, for him and his final season to know that at the end of this, there's no more baseball. Somebody who loves the game and takes such great pride in his durability and in his craft. I thought that you were going to have to rip him mm-hmm. off of the field. I thought it was going to be a really difficult task for Ali Marmol this year to try to figure out how to split time between Yadi and Andrew Kisner because I just know the way that Yadi loves the game and the seriousness in which he approaches the game, and knowing that there's a finite amount of time left, I didn't think he would want to take any time off.
3: I wonder if Yadi has developed some self-awareness that wasn't there in the past. The reason that I got on Instagram is because four or five years ago, Mike Matheny said, former catcher, that Yachty looked tired. And Yachty hopped on Instagram and said, I work out to play 162 games in the playoffs. I'm in great shape. And maybe, and by the way, he did look tired and he was performing like a tired catcher. Matheny was not wrong. But I wonder if... As his age has advanced and as he's heading into his final year, if Yadi might recognize, hey, I can't do what I used to do. And I think this team has a chance to win a World Series. So I want to be ready for September and October most. And it doesn't do me any good to be playing two games in Milwaukee in the middle of April. I want to be able to play those games in the middle of August.
1: Maybe. And be fresh. Yes. And he is a smart guy and has to understand that that's the Cardinals' concern and that that's going to be their approaches. You're so valuable to us. And I know you're dealing with pain right now, but we need you to take it easy so that we can have you at our disposal when we really need you Mm -hmm. because of your value.
3: Do you think there's a chance that in his conversations with Albert, Albert said, hey, I've accepted my role with what happened with the Dodgers last year. I wonder if that collaboration and communication, Yachty might have thought, okay, well, if the greatest player I'm ever going to play with has accepted a role, I can accept a role too.
1: Perhaps.
3: Because Albert would not, that, that was, remember when the Angels DFA'd him, they said the problem was that he wanted to play too much.
1: Yes. So I I see where you're coming from. And perhaps that happened. And it does seem like Yachty is at peace with whatever the situation may be. But also right now, if he's dealing with stuff physically, the decision is out of his hands. If he was feeling 100% and they were electing to go with Mm -hmm. Andrew Kisner for certain games, I wonder how that conversation would go. Now, it's hard for me sometimes to reconcile the players that want to be great team teammates and want to accept their role and want to do what's ever best for the team with guys like Albert Pujols and or Molina who are the fiercest competitors that I've ever seen in my sports fandom or my sports media career. This is a person that that fire burns so deep, and that is what makes him so great. Is that intensity and that passion, and that never quit, that that never say die. I mean, this is a guy who had surgery and was like, and was mm-hmm. walking out of the hospital. I mean, it's one of the toughest guys ever. And so, it's hard for me to find actually pinpoint where his head is at or how he arrived at this spot, but I'm wondering as the season goes on, if he's feeling 100% and they want to go with Kisner, how those conversations will go.
3: And as you mentioned, his con- his intensity and his competitiveness, I started thinking about Roger Clemens and how he would just take the first half of the season off at the end of his career, and obviously he was fresh for the second half. I'm not saying that Yadis taking the first half off, but... Maybe there's just a greater awareness on the part of players now than there was Bob Gibson when he was 39 and he got put in the bullpen by Red Shandings. He took it to his grave. He thought he was the Cardinals' best starting pitcher then. And he had like a 5 ERA. He wasn't. And he just couldn't do what he used to do. But in his mind, he thought he could. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be the hardest thing for these guys, right? Is to come to grips mentally with the idea that physically you can't do what you used to do. And that's what we have to wonder about Yachty. And he's not going to tell us. But hopefully, physically and mentally, he'll be there when the Cardinals need it most in the second half of the season.
1: I also wonder... If he's experiencing a little bit of what Adam Wainwright is that he shared with us last week, he told you, Randy, that he's really trying to soak it all in, that at this point in his career, he's really trying to savor the moment. Mm -hmm. He, He knows that next season he's not going to have Yadier Molina there. He knows Albert Pujols is back and that this is such a rarity and that this is a good team and, and that the end is near for all three of these guys. Right. I wonder if there's a part of Yadier Molina that is entering this season saying, I understand that the Cardinals need to find out about Andrew Kisner and I just, I don't want to have any contention this year. I don't want it to be any any bad vibes at all. I just really want to have a great time with some of my best friends, Adam Wainwright, Yadier, mm-hmm. or excuse me, Albert Pujols and really savor this last year. I want it to be positive the entire time. I don't know if that's where his his head's at, but when you talk to Albert, when you talk to Adam Wainwright, it seems like all all three of those guys really are trying to live in the moment and really savor what they're experiencing.
3: Good for them. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, there are Almost 350 Division I basketball teams. Right now, there are nearly 1,500 players in the transfer portal. Among those is St. Louis University's best player, Uri Collins. We'll talk about the transfer portal and how it affects mid-majors like SLU next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: basketball season michelle and i had travis ford the st louis u basketball coach on the show most weeks and pretty much every time he was on the show he referred to uri collins as the best point guard in america well Yuri Collins led the nation in assists and yesterday announced via Twitter that he is entering the transfer portal along with nearly 1,500 other players. He's the sixth player to announce that he's transferring from St. Louis University during this offseason. And most of the other players that did announce are not big-time I shouldn't say not big time. They weren't key performers for St. Louis U in 2021-2022. Jordan Nesbitt, Markay Strickland, Rashad Williams, Andre Lorenzen, and Lucina Traore. But now you lose the best point guard in the country. And Michelle, uh, word last night that I got that Uri is going to Tennessee, not official yet, and that he's going to get $200,000 in NIL money. Name, image, likeness. And from what I can tell, there isn't really uh, uh, an—like with Eli Drinkwitz at Mizzou for the football team— There's not a dedicated person to name, image, likeness in the Mizzou Athletic Department. To me, this is what it's all about, especially if you're a Mm mid-major. You're going to lose players. If you aren't providing NIL money, you're going to lose players to either other mid-majors that have NIL or, more likely, to SEC schools that have name, image, likeness strengths. The fact that we know this and knew it basically right after Uri Collins announced it tells me a lot that... There's recruiting going on, and that the transfer portal right now is a big problem. And I mentioned this to uh, Matthew this morning. Think about this. Think about the NBA free agency period starting. This is the pros. NBA free agency period starting on July 1st. And we go through, and most of the free agents are signed. And then on August 1st, mid-level team Atlanta. Trey Young, their best player, says, you know what? I'm going to become a free agent now. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what Uri Collins has done to SLU.
1: There's almost 1,400 players right now in the transfer portal. It is outrageous. I mean, and that's what's going to happen with college basketball is now that all of this stuff is out in the open and players have more empowerment, they're going to be able to leave whenever they want. They're going to be able to choose what is the best situation for them. And um, a lot of times that's going to include financial ramifications, Mm -hmm. not just exposure and or a chance to win or playing time as it was kind of in the past. And even though we knew that this was coming and when it happened, everybody knew that it was going to change college athletics, I think there was a lot of programs, SLU is a great example, that is going to have to be reactionary to this, that they're going to have to see someone mm-hmm. like a Uri Collins or the five other players who are leaving SLU and then say, we were going to be a top 25 team last year and this is a massive blow to not only next season but to our program as a whole and we need to figure out what we're going to do as far as NIL is concerned. I
5: also wonder, you know, on the surface this does appear to be all about you know a money move, but at the same time, Randy, we, we were talking off the air. You know when this when the season was winding down, and you even put it out there saying, why doesn't you know is there a worry that Yuri tries to jump to a bigger mm-hmm. program because he's got two more years of eligibility left? He can jump to a bigger program, establish himself, get a starting role, and then show him uh, show himself against consistently better competition, which is apparently what he heard from the NBA scouts. Right, they they wanted to see him against a higher level of competition, and now if he is in the SEC, that kind of checks that marker he could be there for two years he could be there for one so even if you take out the money I think there's some people who are bothered by this but just the well. basketball logic of it has been there and that you sussed it out uh, you know a month and a half ago before any of this Tennessee stuff was even in the cards
3: I would hate to be the first person to tell Uri Collins this because he is a really good player but if Jordan Goodwin can't play in the NBA he can't play in the NBA
1: but you, they all think they can. I was just going to say, you really think if you tell him that, that that's no. going to resonate with him? No. Because there's all these other people around him telling him that he his skill set will tra- translate to the NBA.
3: And I have no trouble, by the way. I'm completely on board with the transfer portal. I just think there need to be guidelines. Like I mentioned, the timing is really bad. And if you're having players make their letter of commit letter of intent commitment in february why not make the players that you have make a commitment 2 weeks before that so you can say i'm going into the transfer transfer portal but we have to know that you're becoming a free agent after this season i think because the product is key and the product is just going to go downhill and this is a business this is a product right if you want to have a quality product I think that teams coaches need to have an idea of who their players are going to be the next year
1: as this continues on I'm sure some guardrails will be put up and this thing will be flushed out a little bit but I wonder if The amount of players we're seeing enter the transfer portal is going to be a positive or a negative for college basketball. And and let me explain. We love transactions. We Mm -hmm. love stars moving around. It's one of the great things about the NBA. How exciting was this NFL offseason with so many big names moving around with all the quarterback movement? I, I wonder if that will make college basketball a little bit more intriguing to people who might not have been paying attention to it because there's a lot of movement happening. There's a lot of transactions. But then I think back to the days where college basketball was king and we loved it so much and it was because we got familiar with teams. We got familiar with players. You knew a guy had been with a program for four years and then you'd see him in the tournament. You'd see him three, four years in a row. Mm -hmm. And now with so many players leaving early, we don't have that familiarity with players and programs. And I think that's caused college basketball Basketball to have a little bit of erosion because mm-hmm. you, you don't have that connection to teams or players anymore. So I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see which way this goes and how it impacts college basketball from a popularity standpoint.
3: And I wonder, Michelle, you mentioned 1,400. Let's say 25% of those don't land another scholarship at another school. So those are players that had academic scholarships. Mm-hmm. I guarantee all 1,400 aren't going to land new scholarships at new schools. I mean, half of these guys... That left SLU. They aren't going to land new scholarships at new schools. And they were they were bench players at SLU, all due respect. So these guys are giving up academic scholarships, they're giving, giving up free educations to pursue something that there's a very good chance isn't going to be there. And I, I would hope, like Uri Collins has an agent that said, yeah, you look at bigger things. I would hope these guys have advisors or parents that, have enough influence to say, look, I get it that you think that you're great, but why not enjoy your time in school? Why not get your education? Because let's look at the NBA, okay? Let's go to an NBA game. Let's go to an NBA game with the worst team in the league. That's what you could do. Take your kid, however good he thinks he is, to a game with, uh, who is the worst team in the league this year, Matthew? Let's, uh, let's find the worst team in the NBA. Uh, the Magic? Might have been. So if if you could get to Houston, okay, go to a Houston game and say, okay, worst team in the league. Do you really think you can play for them? I mean, look at how big they are. Look how fast they are. Look how strong they are. Look how good they are. And that's the worst team in the league. Let's be realistic, son.
1: Well, then I'm going to counter that and say if they have that realistic moment and realize they might not want to play in the NBA. Then aren't you going to go where you can make the most money in college? Aren't you going to? Isn't that two hundred grand or whatever the sum is going to be that much more attractive so that you can capitalize on what you've earned, on what well, you've developed in college? If you know you're not going to have it at the next level,
3: I think you, for Yuri the money is there. I'm not so sure that for Andre Lorenzen, the story the the money is there. And that's my point is that I hope that kids don't waste free education when that's what they're going to have to fall back on when the basketball part of their life is over.
1: I also think about a coach, and sometimes coaches have to have a tough approach with players. If if they're not getting through to them in one way, they have to be hard on them. That's mm-hmm. a lot of times what coaches do, and I wonder how this has affected the way coaches approach players because I'll think about, uh, we've heard so many stories of coaches or managers that have a player that might not be, on board 100% and they have that friction and that conflict and they eventually overcome it even if in the moment they hate each other and the player ends up being better and the team ends up being better for it and then those the coach and the player have a great relationship. We've heard mm-hmm. that story a million times. This is tale as old as time. But I wonder for coaches if they're like, "Well, I don't want to be really hard on this player or give him the tough coaching that he might need, he or she might need because then they'll enter the transfer it's a huge portal." Problem. Because when you're young and you don't have a sense of the world you pop off and you think well the grass is greener elsewhere if you're going to give me a hard time coach or make me work harder than I want to I'll go somewhere else
3: and when re- coaches are in houses recruiting kids they're sweet they're nice yeah they, they aren't yelling they aren't pushing it's the, the problem is once you get them on the basketball court and they do have to be coach, it's a different guy.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's for their benefit. It's yeah. for the the student-athletes' benefits, for the benefit of the team, because that's what you need in life, is somebody to push mm-hmm. you hard, to test your limits, to make you be better. But I just think a lot of these kids today, I feel so old saying that, kids today, but it is true, they haven't been tested like that. Right, they right. haven't had conflict. Uh, they haven't had to work for things. And it might not be a comfortable situation for them. And so they enter the transfer portal and they think that it's going to be better somewhere else. And it's likely not.
3: And a couple of texts I want to get to number one, Randy, don't you think if a player is worth it then someone that someone will try to influence the parents, Reggie Bush, LeBron. I, I think those two, I, I think I, I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking Reggie Bush and LeBron were going to the NFL and the NBA respectively from high school. We knew that I'm talking about, Players like Yuri Collins and Rashad Williams. And then the other one that I want to get to from the 636, Randy, you say you're for the transfer portal, but you sound you awfully sound like you think the kids should have three years of college at the same institution. No, I'm all for kids moving wherever they want to go. I just think there should be a time frame in which they make the declaration to where they want to go to preserve the integrity of the product that I'm paying for.
1: Then can we say the same thing about coaches? That coaches can't leave a program at at a certain time frame to not leave the the student athletes who have committed Mm -hmm. to them and the university and the lurch because we see coaches move on whenever they want.
3: Yeah, and I've always thought, even before there was a transfer portal, that if a coach left, the player should be able to leave. Because let's be honest, kids, when they go to a school, they aren't going for the school they're going for the basketball coach, right? Or the or the football coach. So,
1: it depends uh, on the school, I yeah, guess. Yeah, allow
3: them to move if they desire to move.
1: But I think if you're going to put restrictions on when athletes can decide where they want to go, then coaches should have that same energy.
3: Right. I just don't think you're going to be able to keep coaches from moving.
1: But, but isn't that the whole point of this is that players want empowerment and they want to have the sa- a lot of the same rewards and freedoms that coaches have exactly. had before, whether it's monetary right. or choosing what situation is best for them. Right. So I could just see how th- how that would go over if players had guardrails up as to when they could yeah. move, but then a coach could leave at any point. I mean, look at what Brian Kelly did.
3: Right. Yeah, but we aren't. It, this pretty much makes my point. We we aren't seeing coaches move on April nineteenth because you should have your team pretty well in place by then, and that's all I'm looking at. Is uh, here's a guy that decided to look at the NBA twelve days ago. Twelve days pass of recruiting of Mizzou getting two of the top JUCO players in the country, right, uh, including the JUCO Player of the Year. Those twelve days, who happens to be a point guard, by the way. Those twelve days pass. Uri Collins enters the transfer portal, and where's Travis Ford? In terms of having a point guard. That's my point is timing is key here. And there's also
5: a great point is that look at just the two different sides. Not only, you know, you could have got those Juco players in any year, but now you can augment those two guys with other transfer portal players, Mm -hmm. and now you've completely changed the complexion of a program at Mizzou in a two or three week span while, again, completely on the
3: flip side down the highway, it's gone the other way for them. That's Michelle, that's Matthew, I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. (laughs)
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN, powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Michelle
3: Randy Matthew with you. The text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. Michelle Farmington native Jake Arrieta, former Cy Young Award winner for the Cubs, announced yesterday that he's retiring from baseball. He told the Pardon My Take podcast, It's just my time, really. Take it or leave it, it was just his time after the 2019 season.
1: Oh, yikes. I'm going to leave that because he has to determine in his own time when it's his time. (laughs) But I get where you're going. But man, did he have a stretch of dominance there. Oh,
3: man, he was awesome. He was great.
1: He really was. Um, I also, I was listening to some of that podcast and he was talking about how he can't pitch in his son's Little League games that he attempts to, but he's not used to throwing soft. He physically can't do it, so he keeps striking kids out or accidentally hitting them because he can't toss it in there softly.
3: I love that. I know. I thought that was really funny.
1: So, Randy, um, this kind of made the rounds yesterday on social media. There is a great Twitter account called Zillow Gone Wild that posts posts crazy homes that are featured on Zillow. Mm -hmm. And there was this $420,000 home in Wisconsin that really got a lot of people talking so the inside the outside is a normal house the inside decorated really nice a lot of nice pink colors you could tell that there's been some updating done these people really love a sign that says something like on the entrance it says welcome and there's a little wreath there in the kitchen there's a sign that says this kitchen is for dancing and then there's a sign that says eat in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and then you get to the master bedroom and there's a wood sign that's hand painted over the bed and it says welcome to pound town (laughs) take it or leave it that sign would not deter you from buying the house
3: (laughs) i'll take that yeah you can take the sign down you can paint the walls yeah i i would take that
1: I can't imagine what the listing agent thought when they got the professional <laughs> photos back. That is that beautiful. that sign was still above That's the so bed. Funny. In the master bedroom.
3: <laughs> One time, many moons ago, we were looking for, I think we were looking for our first house. And we looked at an Elvis-themed house that had in the living room, like, a huge Elvis mural wow. above the couch. Like, Elvis toilet seats. It was unbelievable. There was, like, uh, the... Master bedroom was purple with a painted Elvis head above the where the headboard oh went. It was unbelievable. It was all Elvis. It I was wild.
1: I can't imagine loving anyone I didn't know or anything on earth that much, Incredible. that I would dedicate my entire house's decor yeah. to that person. And then to not paint before you put it up for sale. But maybe, there, there's a lot of Elvis fans there out there. Are. Maybe there's someone out there that would think this is the best house I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm going to overpay for it.
2: <laughs> when was when
1: was this?
3: This was a long time ago. 1980s. like what 30 years ago, yeah. I had a feeling. Also, I can't. I don't think there's anybody I love
5: that would put their face all over my house either. King, That's ridiculous. Baby. My God, my gosh. People are yeah. people
3: are interesting. I'll say that much. What do we have on the text slide?
5: From the 314, take it or leave it. If Flaherty comes back healthy for a second half, Mo deals him at the deadline to try to get something in return, knowing they won't resign him after the season. Well. After next
3: season. Yeah, he would be a free agent after 23. I'm going to leave that.
1: I'll leave that too. I think that they'll be in a position to win, hopefully, and you need Jack Flaherty. Right,
3: exactly.
5: Take it or leave it. DeYoung will be benched. Edmund and Sosa will be the starting shortstop, and Nolan Gorman is the starting second baseman by June 1st. I'll leave that.
3: I'm going to leave that, too. I'm going to say that DeYoung probably gets May, but then after that, they might start moving things around. Do you kind of think that the next in line is going to be Sosa rather than moving Edmund to short and bringing up Gorman? Do you think Edmund DeSosa might be the next in line at shortstop?
1: Well, he's been waiting in the wings, and you saw some positive things from him Mm -hmm. last season. But as we talked about yesterday, though, if Nolan Gorman is putting up the numbers consistently that he's putting up now, and the minors, I don't know how you don't find a spot for him.
5: If the pitching is still struggling, though, maybe you have to stick with the defense. Like If the offense is doing fine, maybe you have to go with Sosa because the defense behind the pitching is so
3: important for you to win games. And that's the way this team was put together. As Mo told us, they were looking mm-hmm. for strike throwers that could utilize the defense.
5: Taking or leave it, Tarasenko not only stays in St. Louis next year, but talks contract extension with Army. Take it. I'm going to take that, too.
3: Yeah. He loves us.
1: It's come a long way.
3: Yeah, he has. Boy, that didn't seem like it was that long, but it is a long way.
1: I mean, what was that? How many months ago was that, that we were talking about him? August. Wanting to August, yeah, yeah. July and August. It does... It does seem like a long, a long. you know what though, from the second that he stepped out on that ice, though he was fine, right? He turned the page. He he never let it linger. He never said anything publicly about it. It was all the agent and all stuff that was leaked through the media. And
3: credit to the Blues for not getting caught up in the emotion of the moment.
1: Absolutely. And that's why Doug Armstrong is the best. No doubt about it. Because how many POHOs out there would have made the call and and said, he doesn't want to be here, forget Mm -hmm. him. He said, how many surgeries? He's never going to be the same. Yeah. I'm going to deal him for whatever I can.
3: Yep. Hey, dude, they're calling you fat. Does anybody say that today with the comment, and we'll play it again, but with the comment from St. Louis and Trent Frederick that... I believe was made in a joking manner, just because of his his chuckle. Do we have it right now? Yep. Does, does a blues player that's on his way to the rink this morning, or maybe taking his kids to school? Number fifty-seven. Wink, wink.
1: Yeah, we we hear you. Wink, wink. Do
3: you pass this along to number ninety-one?
4: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about I don't know about that, but I actually wasn't going to hit him. I was just going to act like I was going to hit him. Uh, we had uh, like a little confrontation at the face-off dot. Uh, I don't even know if he's that strong. I would say he's more fat to me, but... Uh... There you go.
1: Oh, we didn't hear the laugh at the end, but there was okay. a laugh there. <laughs> right, yeah, there It was, was faded out before the laugh, but he did laugh, indicating yeah. that he was joking around. However, whether he was joking or not, the comment was made, and that could still upset Vladimir I Tarasenko. Think
5: fire him up. I promise that was not a stirring the pot edit on my <laughs> part. I apologize, Trent. 3-1-4, <laughs> All <laughs> All right. three, three, take it or leave it. The Blues play Colorado in the second round, but beat them in six games. Mm. I'm going to
3: leave that.
1: Why? Because you think they're going to get bounced in the first round? Yeah.
3: Is that because you're a little concerned about the Blues? No. The Blues are going to win the first round. But we don't see Colorado in the second
1: round. Because they get bounced? You still think it's going to be Vegas? I I haven't looked this morning. I
3: don't think Vegas is going to be there.
1: Which is crazy.
3: Yeah. And they aren't going anywhere fast in terms of the future either. Right now, Dallas took it on the chin last night. So Vegas still has a chance. As we look at the wild card standings as they as they stand this morning right now dallas has the number two wild card vegas is four points behind them so vegas isn't going to catch them so it's going to be dallas or nashville i'm going to say nashville winds up being the eighth seed and beats colorado in the first round
1: smashville smashes colorado
3: there you go bunch of fights uc soros does better than he did the other night but
1: wouldn't that feel weird to cheer for nashville got yeah, to be bad. But we're going to.
3: We have to do this kind of thing. It's not great, but Sports, it's man. part of the deal. Jr.
5: called that shot last Thursday.
3: Yeah, oh, there we uh, go.
5: Predator, Predators being the best matchup for the
3: Avalanche. I like that a lot. Take JR's them out before you're not going to worry about him, <laughs> Right. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, we want to hear from you. What are your concerns about the Blues as we head down the stretch and into the playoffs? That's next on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's character and Smallman's Fresh take.
6: Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today.
3: With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, character and Smallman, I'm 101 ESPN. It's 8.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, the last time the Blues missed picking up a point in a game was the first day of this month. Right now it's April 19th, and on April 1st, they lost in overtime at Edmonton by a score of 6-5. Since then, though, They have been able to go on a roll, and that has them in second place in the division as they head down the stretch. And the question of the day is, as well as the Blues are playing, what concerns you about the stretch run or the playoffs? What concerns you?
1: My concern is always going to be goaltending. And people are probably driving around being like, Michelle, you're crazy. Billy Husso has been amazing. And if for some reason he falters, look at what Jordan Bennington did in the playoffs in 2019. We have a pretty good sample size mm-hmm. of playoff Jordan Bennington. Well, Billy Husso doesn't have playoff experience. And that makes me nervous. And Jordan Bennington hasn't been consistently the Jordan Bennington of 2019 this season. So I get worried that if everything does not go right for both goaltenders, that this team could be in a tough spot.
3: And my concern, Michelle, is that even though the Blues have won nine in a row, they have points in 12 in a row, I'm worried that they get arrogant. And that's a word that Coach Berube used after they lost to Philadelphia last month. The second-to-last loss that they had was a bad loss. And they didn't have the, quote-unquote, compete level that we like to see and that they talk about. And so I'm just worried that they start to think again that they're better than they really are. That's really my only concern. Obviously, health is a concern of mine. I, I think the performance of the goaltenders is a, a legitimate question, especially for a guy like Huso's never done it before. But we want to hear from folks. We want to hear from you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You can send us a Rhino Shield mic drop. What do we have on the text line?
1: From the 314, my big concern is that the Blues are peaking too early.
3: Well, that's always a concern. Now... I kind of thought that in February of 2019 when they had the 11-game winning streak, and that didn't turn out to be the case. And they had some bad losses down the stretch, Buffalo-Ottawa, in 2019. I'm not too worried about that because I've seen them peak and then have a little lull and then peak come playoff time.
1: Yeah, I think you have, what, six games left? (laughs) I think you're peaking at just the right time.
3: Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's hard to beat this time of year.
1: Yeah. From the 636, what concerns me is that even though the St. Louis Blues are probably the deepest team in the NHL, they don't have that guy. They don't have a Sidney Crosby or Ovechkin or McKinnon. If you have to have a goal or a person to make that play, who's it going to be?
3: Number 91 leads the league in goals in this month in in April. I think that Vladimir Tarasenko has reestablished himself as one of the top players in the league.
1: He is that guy. He's been that guy. And doesn't that make the Blues that much more dangerous, though, is that he has emerged again as that guy, but if he's not the one to do it, you look at all of the other people waiting Mm -hmm. in the wings behind him that can also punch it in.
3: And the cool thing is that he can do it by himself. You say, okay, who's going to make that big play? Well, Robert Thomas is an elite playmaker in the league now. He does things that other people just don't do. So he can help Tarasenko. He can help Butch who, by the way, is another Stellar player. I think he's going to be great in the playoffs. I'm not too worried about the Blues having that guy.
1: And how about David Perron, who's been playing amazing this season? He's also a candidate here.
5: And you just think, you know, before this run, we were talking about what could the Blues. What could change about the Blues to get them to the playoffs? The big one was Ryan O'Reilly taking that next step up. He hasn't necessarily more guys have taken bigger steps like Robert Thomas, Jordan Kyru, Vladimir Tarasenko. If we get any bit of that Selkie Award winner from him in the playoffs, that's a
3: new level that we're not even seeing right now that they could eventually jump to. Can you imagine how fired up 57 is going to be after missing the playoffs Uh. last year?
1: Can't wait to talk to him about that. He's probably really excited. A lot of people texting in Randy saying that Jordan Binnington had no playoff experience when he took over in 19. And I hear you. I understand. This is just what we're concerned about. Mm -hmm. The Blues are are going for their 10th straight win right now. We don't have a lot of complaints about the team. (laughs) This is what we will be thinking about late at night when we lay our head down on the pillow before game one of the playoffs. These are the irrational concerns of a sports fan.
3: What would make you know where the panic bus keys are?
1: It's always going to be goaltending for me. Always.
3: Let's get a mic drop. This is David who joins us on 101 ESPN.
2: Blues are playing great.
3: But if I do have a concern, it's because they get a little lackadaisical sometimes. Like they did against Minnesota, where they turn it over in their own zone multiple times and they don't start, they pass it to the, oh, I don't know, the other team. <laughs> That's my concern. And it happens a lot where they just act like they don't really care too much on the ice. That's what they can't do. I think they care. I think they're just careless mistakes that get made. And I know what you're talking about. That Pareco pass on Saturday against Minnesota, I I viscerally cringed. I, I felt my body cringe up when that happened. And then I think I might have yelled a bad word.
1: But, what did it start with?
3: Um, F.
1: Oh, Randy. Yeah. I've never heard you yell that word before. <laughs> <It> wow. <was, laughs>
3: It it, it was a bad turnover, Michelle. (laughs)
1: It it really was. You know what's funny is I've heard a lot of my coworkers swear. I don't think I've ever heard Randy or drop an F-bomb. And I've worked with you for a long time.
3: Always assume that the mic is open.
1: That's right. That's right. That's what I do. That is a very good rule to live by. Yeah. And... So it must have been a really yeah. bad turnover, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You know how bad that turnover <laughs> well, was.
3: And, and in a big game, and you had the 4-1 lead. Yeah, you can't do that. It was just a bad combi- a bad combination of things coming all together for me. I was a little bit emotional about it. I understand. It.
1: <laughs> I understand. And you weren't the only one, Randy, from the 3-1-4. My biggest concern is Colton Pareko. Even though they've won the last few games, he's had some really rough turnovers.
3: We need Nick Letty back, because Nick Letty doesn't turn the puck over. And he got whacked in the eye, and he's become very quickly an important part of this team because he can get the puck out of the zone as well as anybody in the league without giving it up. And the Blues, one of the reasons they were where they were was because of all the turnovers. And Letty has really settled a lot of that down. Steady Letty. Oh, I like that a lot.
1: Letty. I like this one a lot, Randy, from the three one four. And my concern is Series 1 against Minnesota. The Blues have been dominating Minnesota this year, so the Wilds should have a huge chip on their shoulder.
3: I would think so. But every team in the playoffs is motivated. But I get where you're coming from, because it's not like Minnesota's a bad team. The Blues, I believe, have points against them in 10 straight games, and that's not Minnesota. Minnesota's really good, and they're a concern too. Now... They also have Marc Andre Fleury, and I would guess that he'll be their goaltender in the playoffs. I'll be interested to see how he does once the playoffs get underway. If he's the old Marc Andre Fleury or uh, the guy who has had some troubles with Vegas over the last couple of playoffs that they've been in. Uh,
1: one more from the three one four, Randy Michelle. My biggest fear is that the Blues don't have enough size and they can't hit the way they used to.
3: I, th- well, that is a concern and fair and very reasonable. I wonder if Michelle if. We're, we've moved past that in the NHL now. Now, Tampa has a monster defense, right? They're, they're really big. But I, I look at some of the other Stanley Cup contenders, like Colorado. Colorado does not have a big defense. Their two best guys, Gerard and McCarr, they're little fellas. So, I don't know that that's as much a factor as it was even in 2019 when the Blues won it. Can't hurt, but I don't think it hurts you as much as it used to when you don't have those guys. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to ask Darren Pang if he has any concerns about this team, despite how well they're playing. That's next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the BoardWalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. BoardWalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County and our new location in Mid-County and online at BoardWalkHardwood.com
3: Michelle and Randy, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where Darren Pang is standing by tonight's Blues-Bruins game, one of those exclusive ESPN Plus games, so we don't get the pleasure of hearing the analysis of the great Panger. Good morning, sir. How are you doing?
6: I am doing fantastic. Uh, Yeah, it's always a tough one when you're not doing the games, especially, you know, the Boston Bruins in town, and knowing how good that game was uh, just a week ago in Boston, which was... uh, you know, a big matchup, and Tory Krug plays in Boston for the first time as a as a, as a Blue, and he played outstanding. So I'm, I'm sure this one tonight is going to be just as good, and I'm sorry that we're not going to be doing it.
1: Absolutely, Panger. Well, the Blues are absolutely rolling right now. They're going for their 10th straight victory tonight. But the question of the day here on Carrick and smallman is, as we get closer to the playoffs, what's the one thing about this Blues team that would make you nervous? So we want to pose that to you. what What component of this Blues team would make you a little nervous heading into the playoffs?
6: Boy, do I look nervous?
1: And <laughs> <laughs> the answer, Panger, could be nothing. It could be yeah. nothing.
6: It, well, yeah. I mean, right. I mean, right now, there's they're they're flying on. I don't know how many cylinders they have in that locker room, but they they're 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 all sparked. So they're you know for me nothing. Um, their five on five play has been very very good. Um, we you know we we talk about how many goals they've scored and how many twenty or more goal scores they've got in career years on you know and, and a couple of guys. You know, will be eager to uh, to stay motivated. Uh, for example, a guy like David Perron can get to 30 goals for the first time in his career. Um, so there's a lot out there. Um, so when you've got your power play, your penalty kill working, your five on five, your goaltending's been good. Um, and, and what I've liked, um, maybe a couple of weeks ago, you'd be saying, "Well, do we have a fourth line um, that uh, that's got some um, you know energy? But does it have a?" a like a the ability to, to to gain momentum and you know I think I think Chiefs got to be really pleased with that fourth line. I mean I think they've done a really good job. I think Nathan Walker obviously he's done a great job with every line he's he's been on uh but uh, I have really liked Logan Brown's play. I think he's you know maybe he's opened up some eyes too around here that is you know he's got some work ethic. He's been battling for pucks, so uh, so that's Pretty solid as well for that fourth line. So uh, all in all, I I think I'm not nervous whatsoever going into a a playoff series right now.
3: Panger, one thing that intrigues me about these playoffs, I've loved Bushnevich ever since I saw him play for the Blues. I'm really intrigued to see what he can do come playoff time because he's a guy who can make plays on both ends of the ice. He's long, and he's a guy that just looks to me like he has playoff ability, a a playoff skill set.
6: Yeah, that's it's, that's going to be very, very uh, interesting and very fun to see him play because he's he's got some, um, some, you know, some bravado about him. He's he's a very confident guy. He, as we've seen all season long, he hasn't had too many lows. He, he and and he doesn't get way too high. I think he stays nice and even keeled, uh, but elevates his game when 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 the Blues need a little bit. More on the four check or they need a little more physicality. He's there when they need, you know, some good two-way play. He's there. I, 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 I yeah, I'm with you on this. I, I'm looking forward to uh, a player like uh, like Bushnevich in the playoffs to see to see where his game goes. And um, I see no reason in the world to see that it's it, that, that it would teeter off. I, I, I think this guy's just going to elevate it. And the other part about it is too, Randy, is that it they are a hard team to match up against. So uh, if the other team wants to match up hard and heavy against uh, that line with Thomas Parasenko and Bushnevich, well, that leaves O'Reilly's line open or leaves Shen's line open. So, I mean, I, I think it's, for the other team, it's going to be pick your poison and and, and the Blues will have a, an answer for whatever they pick.
1: Panger, it was three victories in a row for Jordan Biddington after the 8-3 win Sunday over the Nashville Predators. That's his second longest streak of the season. What's the difference you're seeing in Jordan Biddington right now as opposed to other points in the season? Is it strictly confidence?
6: Confidence is a funny thing. Um, you know, positioning um the technical aspect of it the confidence in in the confidence in knowing that the work that he's putting in is working that that's probably a big part of it michelle because you know you can go into practice all you want and work with dave alexander and go through all your drills and get your stick in the right position and your your hands uh, your glove hand in the right position be on top of your crease but once the game starts it's a different pace it's a, there's there's You know the the screens are different, the traffic in front's different. Can you find pucks going through traffic from the from the points? But that's what I'm. I I think that's where you know the confidence of all the work that he's that he's putting in outside the game itself is is paying off now. Like that game against Nashville, I know that's a a shellacking, that's a blowout of all blowouts. But man, he played really really well, and so uh, you know the difference in that game was goaltending. Their goaltending wasn't any good, and our goaltending was really good, (laughs) and and you get that kind of blowout. So. Um, really happy for for Jordan. Um, really happy for the fact that the I mean, for us selfishly, the Blues have got two goaltenders that are that are humming right now. So again, that's another area that doesn't make me nervous because uh, you have two guys that uh, are feeling really good about themselves.
3: Panger, we had a text earlier, uh, and the concern was that the Blues don't have that guy like a Sidney Crosby or an Ovechkin. It seems like they have that guy back, doesn't it? In number ninety-one.
6: Yeah, who texts you guys anyway? That go right into the air. Is that air text
3: that uh, happens? They can text us uh, anytime, 65780. It's the Air Comfort <laughs> Service text line, Panger.
6: Okay. Um, yeah, um, well, right now we do have that guy. Um, yeah, I mean, no, he's not a 50-goal you know, scorer, but he's been a 40-goal scorer once, and he's having probably a more complete season right now. Um, you know, the willingness to take the puck off the boards and drive hard to the net, the willingness for vladdy to go into the corner and bump somebody off the puck you know we know he's got the skill but man do i ever love it when he's when he's got the will to go in there and do that as well and so the line itself is a complete line and it has every intangible that all the best lines in the game have it's got a playmaker obviously in robert thomas it's got a you know a, a, a really good shooter in vladdy and it's got an Really good two-way winger in, in Bushnevich. and um, the other part, I guess, they'd have a size, um, you know, that a lot of top lines don't have. So, um, tell that text, tell the texter that all is good, um, <laughs> that we've we've got the answer, and we won the Stanley Cup really without um, Ovechkin or or McDavid or or Austin Matthews. And by the way, those teams like Austin Matthews in in Toronto, he's a superstar, and Mitchell Marner's a superstar, and we know that Drysital and and, and McDavid are superstars, but they, they don't. They, the pressure's on them. They they don't have what the Blues had in 2019, and the Blues can do it again because they believe in the team concept.
3: Panger, one time when Brian Sutter was coaching the Blues in his office after the game, he uttered the famous line: "Gentlemen, hard work is a skill too, and it is.
6: It is. It's a. It is a skill. It's um. It. I mean, it's 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 digging down deep. It's 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 going the an extra." an extra gear to do something special. I mean, the playoffs are about that. I think the Blues had that skill, and that was hard work in 2019. It's how much do you want to come back in your own zone? I mean, I think that's something that Jordan Cairo's is learning every single day. It's uh, the, the rink isn't just going downhill to the offensive zone, <laughs> to the offensive net. You've got to come back into your own net, and that's a skill to want to come back hard into your own zone. It's a skill to go into a corner like Ryan O'Reilly, And think that there's three other players on you, but yet Ryan O'Reilly somehow always wins the board battles and comes out with the puck. That's a skill. So you're right about that. Brian absolutely was right when he said that.
1: Pinger, we talked about Vladimir Tarasenko playing out of his mind right now, and he's someone that I think we all expect to have a big playoffs. But there's so many other candidates on this Blues team for somebody that has a breakout playoffs or a a playoffs to remember. If you could think of one guy that you think is just primed for the playoffs right now, who would it be?
6: Well, that's a... That's a very good question, um, because everybody seems to be humming right now. Um, okay, I'll, you really I'll, could I'll...
1: pick a lot of different people. David Perron's a good pick. You could. I, I Robert yeah. Thomas is obviously rolling, but I think that's what makes this Blues team so dangerous: is that you could yeah. really pick any name and and feel good about your pick.
6: I, I was going to go through a, a different one. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Tori Krook. I I I think and. The way that he came back in that game against Boston, you know, the way he jumped onto that ice, i you know, you guys were watching at home. I, we're, John Kelly and I are there in, in Boston, and it was like, it, it was special. It was like, here's a player that's coming back, hasn't played in ten games, and, and goes into an environment that maybe some guys, because he played there so long and played over 500 games for them, maybe, you know, maybe that, maybe there's a little shyness going in there. It doesn't have that, that the, the, the jump. Or the boldness, or I'm not even sure if that's the right word, but he jumped onto that ice like here, I, like I'm like I'm Superman, and here I am, and let's get going here, and and so you know that's what you need on that back, that back end too. I mean, we've had great performances all year long from from Justin Falk as an example, but uh, Tory, Tory Krug has that 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 uh, I don't know that inner self confidence that, that everybody else can feed off of.
3: Panger, one last thing. We've had a lot of coaches here, obviously, and there have been some that I didn't sense had adaptability to allow players to maximize their own skill sets. To me, that's one of – if you had told me that Craig Berube, when he got hired, was going to be a guy that would – nurture a young player like Jordan Kairo along and it, nurturing is now a soft but he he's getting him better Robert Thomas has become a lot better and allow them to play their games and not just be stuck on one system I wouldn't have thought that Ruby could do that he's really impressed me and that's maybe one of the most impressive things about him is that he maintains an even keel and he brings everybody along and maximizes their talents
6: I think as the as the season goes on, he gets better and better i think as the, as the you know um, I think he has a really rare ability to know when a player is under maybe the scrutiny of the the public eye the public eye the the writers um anybody in media can ask the same questions everybody that watches the game can let's say, I'm just going to be very hypothetical and in, in, insane. Um, yeah. Jordan Cairo and, and say the same negative questions about something that that player is not doing and not doing and not doing. And I think Craig does a great job of taking on a maximum amount of water before he reverses the psychology and spins it around and starts telling people that he's nope I'm happy with him. I, I like him. He's working hard. He's doing this. And, and he, and he turns it around now, when the player has a lot of confidence and he, and, and he makes some mistakes, and Craig knows that he can handle it because his confidence is high, then Craig, then, then, then he's more critical, or he can, he can pound a guy down a little bit more. But he, but he knows when a player, because he's been there before, when that player is just getting beaten up and has no confidence, that's great coaching. That's the moment that you build a player back up again, and I I'm I'm so impressed with Craig and his ability to do that. Whether he takes a player off to the side of the ice for for 20 minutes, like or answers a question because maybe a Jordan Binnington wanted really needed to talk to him because uh, he was frustrated because he maybe hasn't been playing and and he's not getting the ball. And there's Chief looking him eye to eye and you know talking to him like man to man situation, and and he's he's done that time and time again. And he's done a phenomenal job with these players in balancing everything out and making sure at the end of the day his job is to get everybody playing their best hockey and being the best people that they can be. And, uh, and for that, he deserves a ton of credit.
3: How does Brucey like it when it's 37 degrees outside? Is he okay going for a walk?
6: No, he doesn't like it one bit, but he just saw a commercial on TV where there were 17 dogs and he got on, on, on two paws on, on top of the entertainment center and started barking like a crazy dog.
3: <laughs> it's a beautiful thing.
6: Well, right it's, now, he's he's chewing on one of my Titleist Pro v one so I think he's a happy camper.
3: <laughs> no doubt. Panger, have a great day. We'll miss you on TV tonight, but enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you soon.
6: Randy, Michelle, you guys as well. Take care.
3: See you later. That's Blues Analyst Darren Pang on 101 ESPN. So he's got Krug.
1: I love that pick, and I love how he has not one thing he's worried about. He says, do I look nervous? Darren Panks, confident as can be in this team. But how could you not be after the way that they've been playing? They've been playing outrageously well.
3: And hopefully it continues tonight against Boston. We have the pregame for you at 6, the faceoff at 7 on 101 ESPN. And as we mentioned with Panger, if you didn't hear, it's an ESPN Plus exclusive. So if you don't have ESPN Plus, the place to get the game is here at 101 ESPN. The fight is next with Carriker and Smallman.
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy
1: It is time for the fight. I'm Kara smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.36 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Uh, let's see, do we have our fighter ready? Okay, we do. Lars is joining us on 101 ESPN. He's going to take on Randy in a sports trivia competition this morning. How you doing, Lars?
6: I'm doing well.
1: How are you? I'm doing well. Are you ready to take on Randy? Let's do it. All right, let's jump right in. Good luck. Question number one. On this day in nineteen ninety seven, the Saint Louis Rams selected future Hall of Famer Orlando Pace to kick off the draft. What school did Pace go to? Was it Notre Dame, Michigan State, or Ohio State?
6: Oh um I'm gonna go with Ohio State.
1: Final answer, Lars?
6: <laughs> Final answer. Okay.
1: <laughs>
5: Vladimir Tarasenko takes his second five-game goal streak of the year into tonight's matchup, becoming just the third blue to ever hit that mark multiple times in one season. Brett Hall is the is one of the other ones, and what b- other blue has hit that mark? So again, second five-goal game streak in one season. Brett Hall did it, Vladimir Tarasenko is currently doing it, and what other current blue has done it? Is it Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, or David Perron?
2: Oh, let's go with uh, Chin.
1: Question number three for you, Lars. Who is the only active pitcher with more career innings pitched than Justin Verlander's 3001? Is it Zach Granke, Clayton Kershaw, or Rich Hill?
6: Surely not Rich Hill, right? Can't Uh, tell you.
1: (laughs) But that was a good try. What did you say? You said Granke? Yeah. All right.
5: And number four, Giannis Antetokounmpo tallied his 30th career playoff game with 25 points and 10 rebounds. That's the second most in Bucks playoff history. Who is first? Is it Alton Lister, Oscar Robertson, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar?
6: Uh, Oscar.
1: Okay. Yep, we're going to check. Lars' score confirmed. Randy is nowhere to be seen in the hallway. He's behind
5: the wall. He's right He's- there. I have, a, I have an angle, but he is not looking MIA. at me. MIA,
1: is he buried in his phone? Randy, yes. hello. <laughs> this is, this is we got a fight here. to do. Lars, how are you feeling? Okay, Confidence on check, on buddy.
2: I'd feel more confident if he doesn't show up.
1: <laughs> you know what? <laughs> uh, right now, you might be in luck because I have no idea. Oh, here he comes. There. Randy, we didn't know where you were.
5: <laughs> <outside> the door. <laughs>
1: I see I see you throwing away your almonds there. He
5: just looked up at me and just like, oh, oh okay, here we go.
1: Yeah, time, I didn't
3: realize you were that quick.
5: Time yeah, to fight. Yeah, yeah well, Lars
1: made haste of the fight. He buzzed right through it. Love it. Randy, say good morning to Lars.
3: Lars, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Randy? Doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing.
1: Is that the right phrase? You made haste of something? Yes. yes. I'm did, bad with did phrases. quickly, yeah. Yeah. He made haste. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think I know a phrase and then it comes come to find out I actually don't. Oh, kind yeah. of like song lyrics, you know, uh-huh. sometimes you're singing along, you're like, wait, they say what? It
5: might be a little antiquated. Make
3: haste. Make haste? Yeah, but it's a good phrase.
1: Let's bring it back.
3: Let's do it, yeah.
5: All
1: make a right. trend. Randy, make haste of this bite. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. Question number one. On this day in 1997, the St. Louis Rams selected future Hall of Famer Orlando Pace mm-hmm. to kick off the draft. What school did he go to?
3: He went to the Ohio State University.
5: All right, Vladimir Tarasenko is taking his second five-game goal streak of the season into tonight's matchup, He's, and that makes him just the third blue to ever have two five-game goal streaks in one season. Brett Hall did it. What other current blue
3: did it? Two five-game goal streaks in one season. So a current blue did it? With the blues? Yes. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Who would be a guy? Maybe David Perron? I would say that that's probably most likely. So I will, uh, yeah, I don't think Butch I don't think Thomas has done that. I don't think Cairo has done that. I don't. So I will, uh, I don't think Pareko's done it. I'll do, uh, number 57, David Perron.
1: Randy, who is the only active pitcher with more career innings pitched than Justin Verlander's 3001?
3: Only active pitcher with more than Verlander's 3001. And uh, so that we can make haste here, I will do the lifeline.
1: (laughs) In the interest of making haste, I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. All right, Zach Greinke, Clayton Kershaw, Rich Hill.
2: Hmm.
1: (laughs) Making
3: haste. I'm going to go with uh, (laughs) Greinke.
5: And over the weekend, Giannis Antetokounmpo tallied his 30th career playoff game with 25 points and 10 rebounds, the second most in Bucks playoff history. Who is first?
3: I will say. How many has he had? He has
5: 25. He uh, he is 30th of 30th.
3: 25
5: of at least 25 and 10.
3: Okay. So
5: who has more than
3: 30? Okay. In Bucks playoff history. Bucks playoff history. My first thought is wrong. What was it? <laughs> uh, Kareem. I think it's wrong. Uh, I don't know if the Big O played enough playoff games for them. But he did come up with a lot of points and rebounds, did he? didn't he? I'll uh, I, I'm, I'm blanking on who it might have been in the last run they had i don't think big dog did it you know what i'll just uh, roll the dice on kareem who's big dog ben robinson
5: oh okay
1: well good thing you rolled the dice randy because you were right oh. which means that you and lars both got three correct it's a tie how about that we're headed to the tiebreaker round good gamble randy Thanks. All right. Tiebreaker round. Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. As I'm reading it, Randy will write his answer down on a sheet of paper. Lars, we're going to give you first crack at it. We'll give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer. Then Randy will share what he's written down.
3: A Bonneville, St. Louis. Paper. Bonneville,
1: St. Louis paper. Okay. If Lars gets it correct, he is the winner. If not, if Randy gets it correct and Lars doesn't, Randy's the winner. If not, Either one of those. We're going to closest Double to the pin. 10. Closest to the pin. Oh. Okay. okay. Lars, are you ready?
2: I'm ready. Brandy, are you ready? Ready.
1: All right, boys. Here is your tiebreaker question. What is the NBA record for most rebounds in a regular season game? One more time. Tiebreaker question for all the marbles. What is the NBA record for most rebounds in a regular season game? I have Randy's answer. Lars, whenever you're ready, sir.
6: Uh let's go. Fifty. Fifty.
1: You said fifty. Randy has also written down fifty. I don't know. <laughs> Which is Come on. insane. Um. So it's a push. Do we have another question?
5: I didn't account for them guessing the same number. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shoot.
1: Um <laughs> Okay, and both of you are close, too, by the way. Both of you are crazy close. I can't believe that you both picked the same thing. So we're going to vamp here for a second while Matt comes up with another question. Sorry, Matt, to put you on the spot here. Um, so, Lars, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and what do you do?
6: I'm from St. Louis, and I'm actually walking into work at anheuser book.
1: Oh, oh nice. nice. I'm assuming you get a lot of free beer on that gig, huh? That I do. Awesome. You're probably everyone's favorite place. friend. <laughs>
3: Good. How's everything going over there at the brewery? They still selling beer? <laughs> still pumping it out. Absolutely. i like what, to hear.
1: What's your favorite Anheuser Busch product, Lars? Oh wow.
6: That's uh, there's a lot to choose from there, but I think you have to go with Big Red Budweiser. Yeah.
1: Can't beat it. Can't beat it. Z- All right, Matt, we have a question? Yes, I'm sticking with the um,
5: Wilt Chamberlain theme because that's the guy who had the 55 rebounds. Yes, it was. How that. many times in his in his career, by his, the way, it was 15 seasons, mm-hmm. how many times in 15 seasons did Wilt Chamberlain lead the NBA in rebounding? In 15 years, how many times did Wilt Chamberlain lead the NBA in rebounding?
3: Uh, let's go with eight.
1: Okay, Lars yeah. says eight.
3: I was going nine.
1: Okay, Randy is going nine. He I hasn't picked... gone eleven. Oh my God! <laughs> Showcase showdown.
3: Well, Bill Russell was in the league at the same time, so I'm not thinking that uh, it might not even be that. You might be right, Lars, because Bill Russell led the league a lot.
1: I don't know the answer. Matt does. It's Fire good. it off. <laughs>
0: The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker.
6: Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty.
1: Just win, baby. Whew, what a battle. We had to come up with questions on the fly. You guys are both selecting the same Number for the tiebreaker. What a battle! I'm sorry, Lars, but Randy was he correct or closer to the pin? He Matt? was
5: closer to the pin. Will Chamberlain did it 11 times in oh, his 15 oh, years in the oh, NBA. Been
0: 11 afterwards. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lars.
1: Oh, what a bummer! I'm so sorry. All right, let's let's roll this back. Let's reveal the answers at the top. Orlando Pace went to. The Ohio State University. One time I was there at ES for an ESPN game. It was Penn State, Ohio State mm-hmm. in Columbus. And I stood next to Orlando Pace on the sideline. First time I had ever seen him in person. Mm-hmm. That is a mountain of a man. He's a big man. Mountain of a man. I, I had neck soreness looking up at him trying to talk to him. Unbelievable. Um, Braden Shen joins Brett Hall and Vladimir Tarasenko as the three Blues players to have more than one five-game goal streaks. In one season, the only active pitcher with more career innings pitched than Justin Verlander's 3,001 is, in fact, Zach Greinke. You guys both got that one correct. 3,121 innings. Giannis Atentacumpo tallied his 30th career playoff game with 25 points and 10 rebounds. The second most in Bucks playoff history behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who has 41 As we revealed earlier, the NBA record for most rebounds in a regular season game was 55. Wilt Chamberlain did it on November 24th, 1960 versus the Celtics, which led us to tiebreaker question number two, Matt, which was.
5: How many times did Wilt Chamberlain lead the league in rebounding in his 15 years in the NBA?
1: Lars guessed eight. Randy guessed nine. The correct answer was 11, which means Randy's our champion today. Lars, excellent fight. Sorry that it didn't break your way, but thanks for listening. Thanks for playing.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Lars. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN.
1: What a heartbreaker for Lars. I know. As soon as he said, I should have gone 11. He knew it, and he would have been correct.
3: He would have been right on closest to the pin. That's a bummer. bummer. Coming up, we're going to head to Miami. John Denton is the Cardinal beat writer for MLB.com. He joins us next on Carricker and Smallman.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: After a night off last night, the Cardinals are back in action this evening in Miami as they open a three-game series against the Marlins at 540 St. Louis time, and Adam Wainwright will pitch against Jesus Lazardo. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carrick, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. John Denton covers the Cardinals for MLB.com, and he's doing a great job in his first year on the beat. John, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing?
2: My pleasure, Randy. I'm doing great.
3: Well, let's start with this. This team off to a five and three start, and uh, there have been a hiccup here or two, uh, here or there, in the first eight games. But overall, and very small sample size, what do you think of what you've seen?
2: You know, I think they're playing really well. I think you know Nolan Arenado's hitting everything in sight. Uh, Tommy Edmund has played well, hit hit well from the ninth spot. Uh, you know, Dylan Carlson's been been okay at the leadoff spot. Albert Pujols has given us, uh, you know, two long uh, uh, bombs. Uh, So, you know, I I think overall the team has pitched well. Adam Wainwright had one great outing, one, you know, one not so great outing. Miles Michaelis came back and pitched well. Uh, uh, Steven Metz pitched well after a bad outing. So I think overall, for the most part, it's positive. Uh, You know, the the record could be better, but, you know, it kind of is what it is right now.
1: And, John, I want to stick with Albert Poolholes for a second because you have a great piece at MLB.com that really details all the work Albert has put in from a game plan perspective to get him to this point. We saw number 681, a monster shot from Albert, but can you share with us a little bit about the preparation that's gone in to Albert Poolholes from a game plan perspective to get him ready for this season?
2: Yeah, Michelle, thanks for saying that. And, it, you know, it, it shows the greatness of Albert Poolholes. He's not a guy who just goes and gets in the, gets in the batter's box and hits. He's a guy who will take, you know, a couple of hundred swings in the cage before the game. He's a guy who will go watch an hour and a half, two hours of video. Uh, every time the, the camera catches him in the dugout, you know, he's working on hitting. He's working on his hand placement. He's working. Uh, we all know, you know, from, from his first Cardinal stint, he was a guy who had a wide base in the batter's box. He barely picked a front foot up, and it was just, you know, raw strength. Well, now, if if you'll notice, he switched to a a front leg kick. Uh, You know, he said that's something he had to kind of come up with. He had a knee problem while he was with the Angels. Uh, He had a plantar fasciitis, so he's had a lot of lower body injuries, so he's had to come up with different ways. And, you know, the the genius of this guy is, is that, you know, he's willing to adapt. He's willing to look at his swing and uh, the, the evolution of his swing over 22 years, you know, it's it's totally different now than it was maybe that first 10 years in St. Louis. And, you know, I, I really uh, applaud Albert, you know, because he he does so much. He studies hitting. He, you know, guys talk about it in the dugout. He'll be sitting there narrating pitches uh, and telling them what's coming. And, you know, they, they think he's some sort of witch or something because he can tell you exactly the pitch that's coming next. So it's, uh, you know, the, the the studying and the amount of preparation he puts into doing his craft is, is really amazing.
3: Hey, John, has Oliver marval talked about getting some relievers into games? It would seem like guys like Palante and Aaron Brooks, and especially Jake Woodford, seems like they need to get some action to stay reasonably sharp.
2: Yeah, you know, it is. They are going a long time between stints. Uh uh, you know, that is a little bit of a concern. I mean, you want, you know, ideally you want your starters going deep in games. Uh, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's first and foremost. But, you know, it, it's hard to depend on, like he talked about the other day, you know, it, TJ, TJ, uh, T.J. walked in a run, uh, you know, but but when was the last time he had pitched? You know, so it, it's tough to keep all these guys sharp. And they do have, right now, they have 15 pitchers. They have 28 players on the roster. That, that'll that change come April, uh, come May 1st, when they have to go back to, you know, 26, and there will only be 13 pitchers on the roster. it won't be such a concern. But, you know, keeping these guys sharp is a concern. You know, I really thought Jake Woodford would get into the game the other night. He didn't. uh, You know, but, you know, you you worry about how sharp he can be if he has to go tonight or tomorrow night.
1: John, for the first time in a very long time, we're seeing an increased workload for another catcher, Andrew Kisner, in this instance, as Yadier or Molina is dealing with that soreness. As the season goes on, how do you see that timeshare being divided between Molina and Kisner?
2: You know, I think eventually it'll be a situation where Yadi plays 65% of the time, 60% of the time. You know, it's not going to be what it was in the past when, you know, Yadi kind of called the shots and, and caught 85%. 80, percent of the time, uh, Andrew Kisner's going to play, and Andrew Kisner has been very impressive, and, you know, Ali's uh, talked about how the other night, Ryan he- Ryan Helsley was down 3-1 in the count, Andrew Kisner called for a slider, and it worked perfectly. You know, he got it 3-2, and then Helsley blew him away with a 1-1 fastball. Uh, that was the perfect call in that situation. When they needed the double play ball at the end, Rowdy Telez is at the plate, Andrew Kisner calls for a, a change-up. You know, it was Gio, Gio's third third best pitch it surprised a lot of people but it worked out and it turned into a double play so Andrew Kisner has been really good for this team they're going to play him uh, you know Yachty's not right his, his knee is bothering him he's got a lot of soreness from showing up late to spring training so you know for right now Kisner's going to catch a lot and, I, you know, I really think it's going to be kind of a 60-40 type split as we go along this season.
3: John Denton from MLDB.com with us on 101 ESPN. John, one more thing for me, a lot of consternation locally, and we are a reactive baseball market, as you know, a lot of consternation about Paul DeYoung early on. Do you have any idea how much leash Paul DeYoung has after a couple of rough seasons and having a rough start?
2: Well, you know, Randy, I, I think the guy's made tremendous growth. I mean, if you look at the way he's hitting the ball the other way, look at the way he worked that county. And, I, you know, we all know Devin Williams, the St. Louis guy, one of, the best, one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball. Paul DeYoung worked him for a walk in that situation. He was very selective. He didn't chase bad balls. He stayed in it. You know, that at-bat that at went down as a walk. It didn't go down as a hit. But I think it really shows the growth that – that Paul DeYoung has made. And I think there's a big leash there because Ali Marmol has been so complimentary of the guy, the way the guy worked all, all off season. Uh, you know, he changed his swing. He's hitting the ball with power the other way. Uh, he had the, the the big hit in the two to one win. He drove in the first run. That was with two strikes with two outs. Uh, so I really think he's made some growth. And I think, I think Paul DeYoung has a pretty good leash. You know, they know Sosa can play. Sosa can play. You know, he he's the starting shortstop, and it's going to be that way for a while.
3: John, we're enjoying your coverage at MLB.com. Thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. We do appreciate it, and enjoy the series in Miami.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Pleasure. You guys do great work, and keep it up. Thanks.
3: Thank you. Take care. That is John Denton. He covers the Cardinals for MLB.com, and doing great work, and a fun guy to have. By the way, Nolan Gorman, Michelle, didn't play yesterday. Six home runs in six games for the Memphis Redbirds, and they open a homestand stand. Uh, against Omaha tonight. And it's a six-game homestand all against Omaha, the Storm Chasers.
1: Oh, nice, the Storm Chasers. I think a lot of people will be tuned in to Nolan Gorman watch.
3: I would think so, yeah.
1: <laughs> and Juan Yipez watch. That's true. And and by the way, that piece that I mentioned mm-hmm. from John Denton at MLB.com about Albert Pujols, I think a lot of Cardinals fans would really enjoy it if you haven't read it, because I think a lot of athletes, when they get to a certain point in their career, they rely on their skill and the knowledge that they've accumulated throughout their mm-hmm. career. But not Albert Pujols. The fact fact that at this stage in his career he's still thinking about how to remake himself and putting the work in to put together a really intricate and detailed game plan to put him in the best position to have success it's just another example of why this was a good move for the cardinals
3: it's incredible, really. And you hope that the young players are watching him, right? Yes. That they're seeing everything that he's doing try to prepare for a game. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the Blues are rolling, but the question of the morning is, what's going to concern you about the Blues down the stretch? That's next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
6: Brought to you by Seidenstricker Stricker, Noby, John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Do I look nervous? Do I look nervous? For me, nothing. Um, Their five-on-five play has been very, very good. So when you've got your power play, your penalty kill working, your five-on-five, five, your goaltending's been good. Maybe a couple of weeks ago, you'd be saying, well, do we have a fourth line uh, that's got some energy, but does it have a, a, the ability to, to, to gain momentum? And, you know, I think I think Chiefs got to be really pleased with that fourth line.
3: Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 9.06, and the question is, what concerns you about the Blues as they head down the stretch? And, Michelle, for me, it's not the fact that the Blues have won nine in a row or that they have a 12-game streak of picking up a point, but in their second-to-last regulation loss against Philadelphia, one of the bottom 10 teams in the league, Craig Bruby was asked, why do you struggle? Why are you only 11-9 against the bottom 10 teams in the league? And this is what Chief had to say. Uh, Arrogance, for sure, is part of it. My concern with the Blues, and especially with the schedule that's upcoming, because they have a road trip here to three teams that are not going to be in the playoffs. You've got San Jose, Arizona, and Anaheim. My concern is that the Blues have that, that arrogant attitude, again, where you can just throw the pucks out on the ice and win, they have to, especially because of the way they're built, they have to try hard every single time. And that's my concern, is that they don't, is that they go back to being that arrogant team that thinks that they can beat lesser teams.
1: Well, with 9 wins in a row, points in 12 straight as you mentioned Randy, and a franchise record 12 consecutive games with four or more goals, it does seem like they've just thrown the pucks out on the ice mm-hmm, and they found yeah. a way to win. And I understand your concern because that was a troubling stretch of the season, but it seems as if the Blues have found that consistent compete level, they found that intensity, and most importantly, they've found their identity and they're playing mm-hmm. Blues hockey. And this is a very interesting exercise because we're trying to look at anything that could go wrong as the playoffs are around the corner. Because right now there's not much to complain about with this Blues team. And I understand why you would go back to a point in the season where the Blues weren't rolling like they are now and be worried about that. But when you get into the playoffs, there is no competition that's really lesser than you. So if that's your big concern, I think you can sleep well at night, Randy.
3: I I should be able to but I'm concerned about the fact that they have points in 10 straight games against Minnesota. I hope they don't think that they can take on the wild and say well we own them and by the way to be fair in their last three games against bottom 10 teams in this stretch the Blues have beaten Arizona five to one, Seattle four to one and Buffalo six to two so they've outscored those bottom 10 opponents 15 to four in three games so I, I with as good as they're going, we're searching for things, right? We, we're, we're searching for things to be concerned about.
1: We are searching, because my concern is something that, as I'm going to share it with you, I can also poke many holes in. <laughs> so, Randy, when it comes to playoffs, goaltending is always going to be my, my number one concern. And you're probably thinking, why, Michelle? The goaltending has been amazing. You're right. Villio Huso has been great for the Blues this season. Three three 3.21 goals against. He has an 8.93 save percentage. He's been the guy this season. Jordan Bennington, has certainly had his struggles this season, but he's come back the past three games and looked like that confidence is back. And we're seeing the Jordan Bennington of old, as you heard in the open there, the Jordan Bennington that entered a very highly pressurized situation and said, do I look nervous? <laughs> the fact that number 50 is getting his confidence back as the Blues head into the playoffs is a really good thing. But until I see Ville huso do it in the playoffs, just like we talked about with Jordan Bennington in 2019, when an unproven commodity gets thrown into the gauntlet. That is the Stanley Cup playoffs. That intensity level, that's unmatched, and you really can't describe or have a player get prepared for until they're in it. Until I see Ville Huso do it, I'm going to be nervous about it, Randy.
3: I think that's fair. We have some text to the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. What do we got
1: from the three one four? My biggest concern for the Blues and the playoffs is the Avalanche. It's not even anything having to do with the Blues, Randy. It's about an, a potential opponent.
3: I think that's reasonable. The Avalanche are really, really good. And it'll be an upset if they don't represent the West in the Stanley Cup Finals. It it will, but hopefully that upset is forthcoming.
1: From the 6 one a my big concern for the Blues is that they're going to run out of gas by the time the playoffs start.
3: I think they're so deep. Like, I didn't think in the game they won the other night when they scored the seven second period goals, did you think that it was something where it was unusual that there was a tremendous amount of effort being put forth, to me, that it looked like they were just going out and playing. I I don't... Now, I know they're trying hard, but I don't know that they're overexerting themselves, and I don't know with this much depth if you have the opportunity to.
1: But isn't that something that could make them incredibly dangerous? Is that they're just so locked in that they're almost on cruise control at this point? Mm -hmm. That they have such great chemistry that they don't have to take it to a 10 at all times and still are pulling out victories?
3: As long as they understand that the 10 is there. That that's... That they have to do more than they think that they can do.
1: Yeah, they can find that extra gear.
3: And by the way, Michelle, I want to go back with Huso. You mentioned his numbers. He's third fourth in the league in save percentage and he's eighth in the league in goals against. So, his regular season has been exemplary.
1: I know there really and, is no reason for me but, to be concerned, but but how many hey, fan bases regardless of how their goalie is playing is worried about goaltending as they head into the playoffs?
3: I remember remember Roman Turk leading the league at 1.65 and then imploding.
1: And we look back to our most recent example, which was the time the Mm -hmm. Blues won the Stanley Cup in 2019, and they don't get there without Jordan Bennington standing on his head so many times.
3: 100%.
1: You You need a lockdown goaltender to go deep into the playoffs. The 314 says, injuries to our defense worry me. We're not deep enough to stay with a team like Colorado without Justin Falk.
3: I agree with that. And I really think Nick Letty is in that same group now, and hopefully he'll be back against Boston tonight.
1: From the 636, my big concern is late game defense and overtime play. Lately, overtime has been better, but prior to the last two weeks it was pretty dismal.
3: But fortunately, in the postseason you don't play 3 on 3. That's right. And playing 5 on 5 works to the Blues' advantage. So, yes, in these last half dozen games, that's a concern, but once you get to the playoffs, 5 on 5 will take my chances. I'm with you. And by the way, that's one place where the Blues' depth can really kick in, right? Another yeah. team trying to stack up against the Blues' third line. With, with Berube rolling lines like that in an overtime period. That'd
1: be interesting to see. It really will. And this one from the six-three-six, Randy, is I think how a lot of people feel. The only thing I'm worried about with this Blues team is health. If they play their game, they're a tough matchup for anybody.
3: I agree with that. If they're healthy and they have their depth, they're a tough matchup for anybody. Thank you. You're welcome. That is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to visit with the Cardinal prospect at Springfield, one of the top prospects, Jordan Walker, first rounder from a couple of years ago, is next with Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Carricker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And he scorches this to deep left field, Walker sending it way back, there it is, gone! Jordan
3: Walker with his first double-A home run, and a standing
0: ovation at Hammond's
3: Field, it's 2-0 Cardinal. Welcome back to Carrick and Smallman, 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And we head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line in Springfield. Mo is Cardinals prospect Jordan Walker, who has had a great start to his minor league career. Jordan, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How's everything going in Springfield?
4: Going great. Thank you, guys, for having me.
1: No problem, Jordan. We're thrilled to talk to you. So you're the Cardinals' number one prospect. There's a lot of people in St. Louis listening to this that are so excited to watch you play. There's a lot of hype around you. How do you handle those high expectations?
4: Oh man. Um, usually, I don't. I don't think about it too much. You know, um, I feel like when you think about that stuff, um, it either goes to your head or you start worrying about the little stuff that you shouldn't be worrying about. Um, mainly my focus is just to play baseball, man. It's, it's the it's the sport I grew up playing and I grew up to love, so just playing it and having fun and keeping things as simple as possible is the way to go for me, and I feel most comfortable when I'm doing that.
3: Is that easy for you? Is it easy to avoid the noise and just go play ball?
4: <laughs> Not all the time, though. No. There's people who remind you of things like that, but, you know, it, it, it's all in good fun, and I know their intentions are true, and, and, and they don't want to hurt you in any way. Um, so just, you know, just blocking it out is the best way for me, the reason to be that, honest. And, yeah, you know, yeah. oh, sorry about
3: that. No, no problem, Jordan. The reason that I asked <laughs> the question is because last year when you were tearing it up in Florida State, I'm sure you heard John Moselock say, hey, the only guys in our organization that have done what he's doing in the Florida State League since I got here are Albert Pujols and Oscar Tavares. And I'm sure that that made its way to you. How'd you feel about that?
4: Oh, I- I was pretty excited to hear that, and um, yeah, it, and that's something that you know every player wants to hear. Um, so you know, it was exciting that to find out that they were happy with how I was doing. But at the end of the day. Um, it comes down that I have to keep performing. So that's what I knew. And I feel like if I kept things simple like I did back there, then, you know, good things will happen. So you know, that's my main focus right now.
1: Well, Jordan, so, speaking of Albert Pujols, you spent some time with the Major League Club during spring camp. What's something that you learned being with the club in Jupiter and being around guys like Albert Pujols and Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Yadi and Rolina to name a few?
4: Oh, yeah, those guys are great. Um, I didn't get all much uh, of a chance to really speak to them that much, but um, watching them was enough to learn a lot about, you know, the the biggest thing that I I learned probably was um, their intent behind their work, their schedule, their work routine. Um, To be honest, I didn't notice how really important it was um, until I started watching them play on the field. I noticed how they had the same routine every day and of course they would joke around with their teammates and everything but once they got in the cages and on the field they, they were all about their work and they had a solid routine so that's something i'm i'm building right now and i used to think a routine was like okay yeah he's warming up or something like that but then i saw that their routine helped them do on the field i noticed how important that was so that that's probably the biggest learning lesson that i learned down there was just watching those guys you know the professionals and how they go about their work so it was, it was pretty cool to watch
1: Jordan, is there a player that you really love that's your guy or somebody that you try to emulate?
4: Oh, growing up, um, I mean, I from Atlanta. My favorite player was Chipper Jones. Mm. Um, power hitting third baseman. Um, and, you know, just growing up, that like, all my life, I, I wanted to be somebody like him. Now, when it comes to mechanics, I really don't um, follow the same mechanics that he does or anything like that. Because when I find myself trying to copy somebody else, I, I, I get – you know, out of myself. I, I lose my swing. Um, so I feel like I just do things that work best for me, but I obviously do have people that I look up towards and, and want to be like when I grow up.
3: Cardinals prospect Jordan Walker with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Jordan, uh, obviously you're a really good third baseman. You were drafted in the first round as a third baseman, but the Cardinals have a pretty good guy in Nolan Arenado here. Have you thought about the possibility of having to move to another position, and if so, is there a position that you're attracted to?
4: <laughs> um, no, not, not too much uh, right now. I've still been working out a lot at third base. Um, I have been playing some of those positions just to get a feel for it. Um, but as of right now, I'm playing um, third base pretty much um, every day for the Springfield Cardinals. Um, but, you, you know, I haven't really put much thought into it, to be honest. I haven't. I've just been trying to focus on what's going on here. Um, And whatever happens, happens. But I have, in the offseason, worked out some other positions, first base, some of the outfield, um, just to be versatile. Just in in case, you know, if I'm doing really well and they need me somewhere, I want to be ready to play those other positions. But as of right now, I'm mostly playing third base, and I haven't really thought much about it.
1: Jordan, you performed at an incredibly high level at single A. You made your double A debut on April 8th. What's been the biggest difference as you move through the system?
4: Oh, um, definitely the pitching. Um, I think that's the biggest difference um, and low a high a they um, threw a lot more fastballs to be honest uh, and they didn't locate as well as they do in double a and then nothing to take away from those pitchers those pitchers were phenomenal those pitchers were pretty good but in double in a they throw pretty much any pitch in any count here um, you, there's no more three oh there's probably gonna be a fastball they, they still throw flyers and they can throw it where they want to So I feel like that's the biggest difference for me that um, I've found. And, you know, it's going to be cool to learn what else there is out there. And I've only played a few games here, so I haven't gotten the gist of it yet. I'm still learning. Um, But as of right now, I feel like that's the biggest
3: difference that I've seen. Hey, Jordan, obviously this isn't your first time in Springfield because when the Cardinals drafted you, they sent you to the camp during the, the COVID year and you didn't get to play any games. But what did that minor league camp that the Cardinals had in 2020 provide for you?
4: Oh man, that was like a, a wake up call to what my league would be like. Um, seeing those guys, seeing those um, those top prospects in the in the, Meyer, in the Cardinals organization, just seeing how they play, it, it really showed me what the season was gonna be like and and what it took to to be in their position. Um, they were all they were on the brink of you know making the MLB, and some of the guys who were at that alt did go to the MLB that year or the big leagues that year. So you know just just seeing them and playing with them, it, it really gave me an idea. Of how things are going to go and how things are going to work for for me to to eventually get to the big leagues as well.
3: And there was nothing obviously anybody could do about a pandemic, but did not playing games that year affect your development at all?
4: Um, to be honest, we got we still got live ab's and we still got fielding work in. Um, but and I I wish I could answer that question, but I, I truly don't know because I, I've never experienced um, uh, I didn't experience a minor league season before the alt site, so. I didn't really know what to expect. So, for, for me, the alt site was the norm. Um, I had no idea what it would look like if the pandemic didn't happen and how I would have developed. So, I, I, had, I don't have an idea, but I feel as if that still was just as good as an opportunity for me. Um, definitely not with, like, season long and having, you know, me pacing myself throughout the season. I, I missed out on that the first year. But as to mechanics, working on mechanics, working on fielding, getting to know people in the organization, I feel like I still got a good amount of that from the alt site, So I don't feel that there was too much of a loss at all.
1: Jordan, you're somebody that Cardinals fans are going to want to get to know as not only a player but a person. Hopefully they're cheering for you for many years to come. So tell us, we know that you love baseball. You said that you grew up loving the game, that you have a lot of fun playing. But what does Jordan Walker do for fun outside of baseball?
4: Oh man, uh, I'm a big video game guy. PS Five is my favorite thing to do. Playing the PS Five, and then, you know, just hang out with my roommates. We'd do anything you know, a 19 year old kid would do. do. Going to the movies. Um, in the off season, I would play. You know, pick up basketball. Um, it's it just just simple things. I, I, I'm not too I into extra stuff. I go to the music park. But right now, as of right now, after a, a game, I'll probably come back and just play my PS Five. Um, play. Uh, the basketball game 2k that comes out or maybe watch a movie or something like that so i'm pretty simple but uh those are things that really bring me joy
3: are you a madden guy
4: (laughs) i wish i was a madden guy i am not good at it at all so i am not a madden guy but i definitely will play if someone wants to play with me
1: (laughs) Uh, jordan who is the best gamer on your team and on any team that you've played on who's the guy that if you're going to play with somebody that's that's who you're calling up
4: the best gamer. Yeah. Okay, so I, I can't say myself, huh?
1: Oh, you can, you can. Yeah. If it's you, go yeah. ahead.
4: <laughs> I think, I think it depends on the game. But if it comes, when it comes to MLB the Show, I think I'm the best. Um, and then when it comes to 2K, I think I have to give it to um, my my boy Mason. Uh, Mason, when he, he he's pretty good at that game.
3: Have you made Jordan Walker on MLB the Show yet, or are you? Or, or do you like to be somebody else?
4: Oh, (laughs) I've made Jordan Walker plenty of time on MP show. (laughs) (laughs)
3: That's awesome to hear. Hey, Jordan, I was in Springfield a few years ago, and the president of the franchise at that time was really proud of the food that he was able to provide the players. Have you played enough home games? Do you have a read on the post-game spread in Springfield yet, or the pre-game spread?
4: Um, I have played about three games in Springfield, I have to say the food's fantastic. I'm very happy about the food. um, We had... Um, We always have really good uh, sandwiches before the game. Something that will, you know, uh, make you not hungry, but also not too heavy on your stomach. And then it's a lot of different, like uh, pulled pork, I think we had after some of the games. Um, It was a while ago because we just came back from the away series. But the food, I remember the food being here um, the past, the 3 days that we were here for our home series was really good so
3: i'm really happy with it that's something to look forward to hey i yeah, want to ask <laughs> i want to ask you about going pro rather than going to duke now your parents i read your parents went to harvard and mit what, did one go to each or did they both go to both
4: um, so my dad went to MIT and my mom went to Harvard.
3: Okay, so when you were making the decision, and I'm sure your parents were heavily involved with the decision to go to either Duke or GoPro, how hard was that decision for for you and your family?
4: Um, so yeah, I actually get asked this a lot, and um, it was pretty difficult. Honestly, um, I feel like it was difficult for the main reason that you know these are the next few years of my life, whether it was Duke for three years or starting pro out of high school, um, it was definitely a difficult question um, because, you know, at 17 years old, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I knew was that I wanted to play baseball. And I don't think there's a, a, a good or bad way. The, the what my dad stated it was, whatever way, you'd be happy because you're playing baseball. And um, so they were very supportive about what I wanted to do. And they really made it uh, my opinion. They didn't force me about, like, Duke or, or school or anything. Um, and in exchange, I promised them that I I would finish getting my degree at some point in my career. So that I think also helped them out, but they were very supportive of which uh, path I would take. And in the end, I felt more comfortable going the pro route. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a difficult question, um, to answer, I guess your question, but, um, or difficult decision, but at the end of the day um i was really happy with what i did and i was happy about how my
1: parents supported me through the whole process that's wonderful to hear jordan but if you had gone the college route was there a profession that you had in mind if jordan walker wasn't going to be a baseball player what would he do (laughs) i
4: I haven't put too much thought i think maybe (laughs) either sports analyst or uh maybe people working in in, in broadcasting uh, or uh i don't know what you call um i guess the broadcast and talk about the games um, so something in baseball, if I wasn't playing baseball, I, I don't know, I just love it too much just to, you know, if, if things didn't work out, I'll probably try to get a job in baseball.
1: Well, Jordan, anytime you want, there's an open seat for you in the <laughs> studio. If you want to learn about broadcasting, you come join us anytime.
3: <laughs> I appreciate the offer. Thank you. <laughs> hey, one last thing. You're at AA now, and you've torn it up in in rookie ball or in Florida State League in low A and high A, and now uh, you're, you're off to a really good start in A. Have you set a goal for yourself as to when you want to make the major leagues?
4: Um, I do it soon. Um, I'm honestly not quite caught up on the process um, of how things work um, and how they want to move players and everything, but as soon as possible is my answer right now um, because I don't have enough information. But, you know, I'm doing everything I can to make the, the big leagues as soon as possible, and I'm not just making it. I want to stay there for a while, so I want to develop myself and get into the position where I can stay there once I do make it there. So I'm sorry I don't really have a date right now, but I guess I can just stay as soon as possible.
3: And by the way, for Cardinal fans that aren't aware of it, you turn 20 next month, correct?
4: (laughs) I do indeed. I turn 20 next month.
3: (laughs) Good. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you here and meeting you here in St. Louis. Maybe we'll make the trek over to Springfield and say hi. We really appreciate your time, Jordan. Thanks. Have a great homestand in Springfield, and we'll keep an eye on what you're doing.
4: Oh man, thanks you guys. I really appreciate how you guys have me here.
3: Thank you so much. Jordan Walker, Cardinals great prospect and what an impressive young man.
1: He is. I really enjoyed speaking with him, Randy. Um prior to the interview, this was not we taped this yesterday and this did not make air. Randy asked him about his nickname
3: mm-hmm. and
1: he said that his teammates call him Walks. So just like Or Jay Walk, yeah. Yeah, just like Nathan Walker, Jordan Walker's nickname is Walks. I'm sorry to break it to you.
3: You know what? This town isn't big enough for two walks. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's gonna have to be na dub. Well I
1: I or think. J-Dub. I was going to say, I think only one of them can be an A-Dub. But Jordan Walker, what a, an impressive young man, as you mentioned. I really appreciated that conversation. And I just think about not only what we're seeing from him out on the field, but the, the poise and the candor mm-hmm. and what a great communicator he is. He's going to be a Cardinal fan favorite for many years to come.
3: He'll be a star. By the way, next time we have Aeneas Williams on, his nickname was A-Dub.
1: That you gave him?
3: No, his play, his teammates gave it to him.
1: Mm. You love to throw a dub in there. That's a Randy yeah. Character signature move. It, it
3: is a signature move, right? <laughs> hey, we have your chance to uh, win this week a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals and the Mets. It's the first Budweiser Bash game of the 2022 season. Features an exclusive Keith Hernandez limited edition bobblehead giveaway. I think Bob Costas is coming into town for that game, by Ooh. the way, to do it for MLB Network. You can get all the details for this season's uh, series of Budweiser Bash cards games now at cardinals.com com slash promotions. But we have a four-pack for you right now, and all you have to do is know what word Craig Bruby used to describe his team after their loss to Philadelphia. What word did he use to describe his team after the loss to Philadelphia, their second to last regulation loss? And you can be texter number Let's come up with a good number for the texture.
1: How about 57 in honor of our guy David Perron? I
3: like that number a lot. Texture number 5765780 with the word that Craig Berube used to describe his team after the loss to Philadelphia back in late March, their second to last regulation loss. Coming up next, it's your Killamie Smalls on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now?
7: You're killing me, Smalls.
0: You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN.
3: Congratulations to Andrew. He knew that the word Craig Brubee used to describe his team after their loss to Philadelphia was arrogant. And Andrew's on his way with a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals Mets. Get all the details for this season's series of Budweiser Bash Cards Games now at cardinals.com slash promotions. It's time for...
1: You're killing me, Smalls! Randy, Seth Curry, or excuse me, Steph Curry was out uh, for a month-long the absence. The good Curry. The good Curry. Oh. Steph, not Seth. No, listen, they're both good. One's great.
3: Well, the great one.
5: The yeah. great
1: one, yes. Excuse me, Not to be Steph. confused
5: with the divorced Curry. That's the dad.
1: Oh, okay. Well, no, Steph Curry was out for uh, a month-long absence with a foot injury. He came off the bench in Game 1 of the Warriors series versus the Nuggets. He did it again last night, second straight game where Curry came off the bench. He scored 34 points to lead the Warriors past the Nuggets, 126-106. to They now take a 2-0 series lead in their best-of-seven playoff series. Randy, Steph was only on the floor... He was three seconds shy of 23 minutes. No player in the shot clock era has scored as many as 30 points in 23 or fewer minutes in a playoff game, 34 for Steph last night.
3: He is, as far as I'm concerned, the most entertaining athlete to watch. He plays with such joy. He has such a unique, unbelievable skill. And he's clearly the leader of his team, and he's extraordinarily charismatic. I don't think there's a guy in sports or a girl in sports that I enjoy watching play right now more than I enjoy watching Steph Curry play.
1: You're so right. He's so entertaining. And the thing is, it just seems so effortless for him.
3: Yeah. And... It was cool last night after the game. He said, there was a little pep in my step and the body felt good. He said, you make certain shots, feels a little bit different and more normal and more emotion comes out, especially that with that layoff. It was a nice feeling. And then he he d- does the shimmy after the long threes and says, yeah, I like those shots where I shake a little bit.
1: Just shake a little <laughs> bit. Well, Nick, Nikola Jokic had, Jokic, excuse me, had 23, 26 points, 11 rebounds. Draymond Green in his defense really flustered him all night long. But after the game, Draymond spoke about Steph coming off. the bench and how that impacted the Warriors.
7: When Steph came in the game, he just he just drove until they stopped him. And the big was kinda shaded towards me to take the pocket away. So he just kept driving them. And I think that broke their defense down. And and once he started doing that, well, um, you know, now you got him into the paint, kicking out and flying back off for threes. That's that's when Steph Curry is at is most dangerous off the ball. And so, um, I thought the way he came in and settled our offense down. I mean, it's what you expect of Steph Curry, but you know, um, I thought that was huge and you know, like I said, to be plus thirty-two in twenty-two minutes, twenty-three minutes, that's it doesn't get much better than that.
3: Pretty awesome. And by the way, in addition to them being really healthy, They've got some Warriors Devil Magic going with this Jordan Poole, too. Yes,
1: they do. Big-time Devil Magic. They look—what are they calling them? The big the big three or the—what's what's the phrase? Hold on. I'll get it here in a second that they're calling those three. But they've been unbelievable. And, Randy, the Warriors look incredibly lethal right now.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I would be concerned if I were any other team, including Phoenix in the West. And if Steph is on—and you have Steph, Poole, and Thompson— Last night, I think Clay had 21, Poole had 29, and uh, Steph had his night. And and then you have Draymond, too. I I don't know how you beat him.
1: Stephen A. Smith calls them the lethal weapon three. Uh, That's pretty good. I like
3: that. Lethal weapon
1: three. Pretty good.
3: Stephen A.
7: You're killing me, Smalls.
1: Well, speaking of pretty pretty good, Freddie Freeman was facing the Braves for the first time since he left the Braves to go to the Dodgers. His first at-bat against his old club, he set the tone.
2: Slices one deep left center field. Freddie Freeman hits his first home run as a Dodger in his first at bat against the Braves.
1: The crowd of fifty-two thousand plus went absolutely. You bet you did. A little club horn action in there. What you didn't hear was 52,000-plus people chanting, Freddie, Freddie. They absolutely love him there. There's no reason not to. But we know that it was a tough divorce between the Braves and Freddie Freeman. He won a world championship there. He was beloved by Braves fans. He loved the organization. He loved Atlanta. And it was a tough decision. It was a tough breakup for, for the organization and for Freddie Freeman. And he talked about this after the game, about what it was like to play for the Braves. Braves, or play against know, the Braves, excuse me.
5: I don't know if any of us are really looking for closure. You know, it's like, what is it like? I had a great 12 years. I'm not trying to close anything. You know, I'm just trying to move on, obviously, but. You know, I have so many great memories with the Braves. I'm just excited to see everyone. This is like, that was the first time I saw Alex in person since the parade, you know, like, I haven't seen these people, see these guys since the parade. So that, that's what's so special. It's more of just hugging, hugging everybody again, seeing everybody and seeing their, their faces and just talking to
3: everybody again. It's been good good for him that's the way to do it isn't it say i don't i I don't need closure that's a part of my life that i want to keep open
1: i thought it was a great response and you saw a lot of videos of him as he mentioned greeting people within the organization his former teammates he actually spoke about it before the game with kelly kroll and got emotional he you could see him choking back tears saying i i love braves nation i love atlanta this was really difficult for me and they'll always have a special place in my heart and it's really nice to see when an athlete really has a connection with the city and with mm-hmm. a fan base like that and he really gets it. Yeah. He, he absolutely gets he does. it.
3: And oh by the way, the Dodgers are eight and two and they're just mashing.
1: Of course. <laughs> did you expect anything else <laughs> no, from the I Dodgers?
3: Did, Michelle, I didn't. <laughs> You're
1: killing me, Small. And finally, Randy, get that club horn ready again. Because <laughs> Thank you. A lot of people have been upset about something since 2020. They've been mourning the loss of a beloved fast food menu item, but it is back. That's right. Taco Bell is bringing back the Mexican pizza.
3: This is like a necessity. for life
1: is major people have been clamoring for this they've been devastated that the mexican pizza was off the taco bell menu doja cat who has been tabbed as the voice of taco bell for the people announced at coachella that she had a big role in bringing the mexican pizza back she actually had written a song about it she really put the pressure on taco bell to bring them back bring it back but it's coming back on may 19th Permanently to the Taco Bell menu.
3: That's a necessity. Now let's get the regular taco meal back to being number eight, okay? I spent 25 years <laughs> going to Taco Bell drive-thru. Hey, can I get a number eight? And then they changed it on me.
1: How dare they?
5: I get. A, I'm a Crunchwrap Supreme kind of guy. Can you please sell me on the Mexican pizza? Because every time I go there, even when I was on the menu, I see the Crunchwrap Supreme. I see the Mexican pizza. I was always a Supreme kind of guy. What is it about the Mexican pizza that dro- that drove America into a frenzy?
1: It's ground brie- beef, refried beans, sandwiched in between two crispy tortillas, topped with melted cheese and tomatoes. And by the way, Matt, easily customizable. So you can throw in a lot of things that you want there.
3: Okay, that, that that's fair. That
1: just happened. There you go.
7: That's
3: fair. Yeah, that's it's awesome.
1: So May good 19th. Doja Cat,
3: too, by the way. Yeah,
1: shout out to Doja Cat. So we're a month away. May 19th. Can't wait. You big Doja Cat fan? Yeah, of course.
3: I I was just wondering about the influence of celebrities, because apparently, Michelle, this very show is influencing local mobile on the runs to air Cardinal games while they're being played. They heard us. They listened to us. They're heeding our request. Now, it's not a done deal, but it very well could happen that as the Cardinals approach... The six runs. Just makes sense at Mobile on the Run. Six is a serious number. Super serious. And so we brought it up and they're talking about it at the highest levels of Mobile on the Run.
1: That is influence. Now, I always said, speaking of influence, that I would really feel like I made it in my career if I had a sandwich named after me. Mm-hmm. If somebody could go into a deli or something and say, I want the number seven, I want the Smallman, extra banana peppers, extra vinegar, whatever. You, in fact, have already made it. You want to talk about influence? Doja Cat has the Mexican pizza. You already had a sandwich that you created with Belly, right?
3: It was delicious too. It was uh, pretty much stolen from the old stage deli sandwich, the Derek Jeter, which was delicious. Mm, nice. So yeah, Derek and I have similar sandwich tastes apparently, unless he didn't participate in the menu items that went on his. but Do you yeah, get a I, gift
1: basket when you order it?
3: No, oh, but we got to work on that. But yeah, we got to get that back at Potbelly. We got to get the Randy Character back on the menu because it is a delicious item.
1: I have I have a ways to go to get to the Randy Character status, that's for sure.
3: Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch and tell you what's on tap before T MAC and Ajax bring you the balloon party here on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: We have Blues Hockey tonight here on 101 ESPN, pregame at 6, action at 7. And by the way, if you don't have ESPN Plus or Hulu, then this is the place to watch the game tonight. Because it's not on Bally, it's exclusive, Michelle, on ESPN Plus and on Hulu. Somebody texted in earlier that said that nobody has ESPN Plus, which I believe might be the hottest sports platform going. Really? They're selling the daylights out of that thing, yeah.
1: I haven't seen any updated numbers on the sales um, margins for ESPN Plus, but I think a lot of people have it. Yes.
3: Yeah, and if you get the combo with too. Disney Plus and yeah. Hulu, I mean, come on, at seven ninety nine a month or whatever, six ninety nine, something like that.
1: But all of those subscriptions add up.
3: We crowdsource them, so like Katie's got the um, yeah. Do it, you want Katie, to
1: reveal this on on the air?
3: Well, right? no, because we have them all in the same house. Oh, that's right, so You all live together. Katie's got the Netflix. Patrick's got the Peacock. Uh, I I take care of the HBO and the ESPN. What we need to get is Apple. Because oh, yeah, did you, you see that the NFL is putting the Sunday ticket on Apple? I did. Not that I would pay for the, That probably would be a reason that I wouldn't buy Apple at this point. Uh, but you
1: don't want to support the NFL?
3: Right. But I think that'll present, obviously, a great forum for Apple. But with DirecTV, it made it so easy. It was just part of the deal. And you just, you just got it. And I wonder if people are going to make that switch. Are, are people that already had DirecTV and were used to that, are they going to, because of all what we're talking about, are they going to move f- any of their platforms over to Apple's just so that they can watch other NFL games?
1: Probably. Now, most people have Amazon Prime. And mm-hmm. if you don't, I don't know if watching a Thursday night game would be enough for you to buy Prime or to care about Amazon if you don't already since so many people already are locked into Amazon. But the Sunday ticket is a completely different animal. Mm -hmm. Those are a lot of the the great marquee matchups and I think a lot of people would be looking to make that switch so they could get those Sunday So that you
3: can watch especially out-of-town games. Buffalo fans here, for example, that want to watch the Bills, but their game... Chiefs are on CBS here. So if you want mm-hmm. to watch out-of-town games, that's the best. I'll be interested to see how successful it is. I'm sure it will be because it's, it's Apple in the NFL. I mean, is there are there two more Goliath uh, businesses than Apple in the NFL right now? Amazon. Yeah, there you go. Those are, those are the ones. Uh, great job today by our producer-engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you. Pleasure. Michelle? Yes. This was fun. Indeed. Guess what tomorrow is?
1: It's hump day. hump day. It is.
3: And we'll do it again. For everybody, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at
0: 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
7: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget Bit Online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bit Online, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.